Welcome back to another edition of the Road Dogs Podcast. I am your host, Nick Shaw, joined by my cousin and co-host, Josh Shaw. Josh, say hi. You know, I don't proclaim to be a Satanist by any means, but uh, we're taking a trip down to the old Trident slash Pitchfork area. That is hell today, yes. this week. Dabbling into uh, Beelzebub territory. <laughs> Who came up with that name, by the way? I've always kind of wondered if, like, it kind of rocks. Not a clue, but I love it, and it's really fun to say. Well, like, okay, so here's another question while we're here, and before we get into the whole meat potatoes of this. Why does the devil have so many different names? It's like Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, the Antichrist, Lucifer. We're already, like, five names for this guy. Like, like we need to go back to last week and just get Dave from Day of the Dolphin and just stick the devil with Dave. <laughs> Like that's his name. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I don't know the. the... <laughs> You're not the person I should be asking. <laughs> but um, you know, it is kind of interesting because, yeah, there's only just one God. You know, he doesn't really have a lot of names. Yeah, no, it's like, well, Jesus has a lot of like synonyms, right? It's like, oh, it's Jesus, the Savior, the Lord, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure there's another forget. But for the, for Satan, it's like, well, then and then if you're like, well, there's Hades in the Greek mythology. There's uh, Mars or whatever. Like, there's all of these different things you can just balloon that to be like, hell, you know? I think the, the underlying theme here is just everybody likes a bad boy. Do you think that's what it is? Do you think God was just kind of jelly of like how much everyone likes Satan? He was like, man, I'm just going to tell everyone this guy sucks. Cast him out. Be gone, Beelzebub. Okay, Brenda was spending too much time with Beelzebub. I'm going to make sure that everyone knows he's such a Rachel. And that is the reason why Satan was cast down to hell. Uh, if anybody hasn't noticed, we are talking about Hellboy this week. Mm. 2004 version, not 2019. Not that monstrosity. Have you watched that movie entirely? I have not. I've only seen bits and pieces, and I saw the trailer. And even from the trailer, it was quite apparent that I was not going to be uh, partaking. <laughs> I watched the movie when it came to like streaming sites and I got about 20 minutes in and I was like, this is putrid. But I, I knew it was going to be trouble when I read that Mila Jovovich was the villain. I was like, really? This is, this is where we're going? It's a tough property to land and I think this movie is, is pretty good and, and is more than bad when it comes to that and I think we'll get into that much later, but it's a really, really particular property. Really, I... I hmm. I'm trying to figure out what I feel about this property in general, like what appeals to me and what doesn't. And like the very simple premise is what I like about this property more than I do like the more creative, like Armageddon stuff, which we kind of talked about last night off mic. But like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in the comic books, which is what we'll probably talk about throughout. Cause Nick, you now you are a Hellboy nerd. Why don't you explain to the listeners what we're talking here? You got an addiction almost. I do. I'm a collector of books and comics and all that stuff, and uh, I'm a huge Hellboy nerd, 100%. Um, why do I really like Hellboy? Is a really good question. I love his humanity. No, just as... like hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's 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 not let's play <laughs> this nerd thing. I know you don't want to admit. So, how many Hellboy books do you have? Do you can you count it for me? Uh, do I have to give a real answer? Well, okay. So I'll just ask. Well, you, I'll tell you. I'll than, tell you. More than two uh, hands. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Any collectibles? 12 plus. 12 plus. What? Yes. Do you have any collectibles, any toys, any action figures? 
know, um, I have to control myself because I, I have this really bad impulse of a com- like a completionist. That's why I have 12 plus Hellboy books is because yeah. I am a completionist. Um, plus, it's just a great, really intriguing storyline, which I don't want to get into yet. I have to pace myself, apparently. I have to put a governor on my nerdiness. Here's the other question. How many Hellboy books have you like not gotten that you still want to get? Are we in like 10 more at least or like? I got I got to get the devil, you know, so I can finish out BPRD. It's my last one there for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As <you>. everyone knows. <laughs> um, it's actually like we should swear less, and now you're just breaking <laughs> it out about four minutes in. Um, a lovely coworker bought me the Abe Sapien book, um, Dark and Terrible. There's two more of those releasing later this year that I definitely have been circling my eye on to pre-order. Um, geez, this is sad. Uh, and then the other ones I'm going to try and probably source out from the public library. Uh, the Hellboy in the BPRD collection is rather short. Um, and the books are pretty expensive because they mm-hmm. fortunately don't put a lot of physical copies in print anymore, especially companies like Dark Horse, Image, smaller independent comics. Um, not Dark Horse anymore, obviously, but so we're just don't really put I'll just, I'll save you the shame and just say you've got a lot more to go and you already have a lot to start with. Yeah, I love the property. I love the lore. Um, it's just great stuff. I, do you want me? Can I explain why I like it now? No, of course. Now I was trying to get to that. Now I just want to establish and set the scene of what your apartment looks like, and why there's like four to like shelves of Hellboy stuff. I'm looking at the shelf right now, and over yeah, I would say over a good half of it is dedicated to Hellboy, and I still need yep. to organize okay. all my other uh, omnibuses. And you're not done yet. So I, I, again, no. <laughs> all right. Now we set the scene. Tell us why you like Hellboy so. Oh much. man such a great character like we talk about great anti-heroes or like characters who carry this burden or this cross with them he has the ultimate like he is the bringer of doom he is the destro- destroyer of worlds um mm-hmm. and he has this like inner war raging inside of him where he has this great humanity and love for people um but his work that he does begins to like filter in to distrust which then forces him on this like really existential journey where the books become very convoluted and a lot of like myth and lore um, but I think these books operate their best when Hellboy is front and center doing cases for the BPRD. Um, there's some really good stuff interwoven in between some of them big books like the Seed of Destruction line or the Sound and the Fury. A lot of short stories where Hellboy will be on a boat and, you know, or Hellboy will be dealing with a child who might be possessed. And like they're really well written stories. Um, but the first run as a whole is is a little bit too short. It's it's. It needed another five years, which was kind of one of the frustrating things when I first read it. Um, but what I think helps like make this property like more fleshed out is the BPRD series, which is really cool, um, which we can talk about later in to the show. But really involves a lot more of like what we're talking about, like X Files, like kind of like militarization and hunting down these big, you know, creatures, the Agdru Jihad that are going to bring about the end of the world. But they also are very bleak. I enjoy like I think a lot of Main Street comics you know we both read pretty regularly comics they they tend to like get dark for a period of time but then really take a sharp reversal to like not yes. scare that portion of their audience away the BPRD books have none of that like <laughs> things are bad from the start and they just get worse which I really respect and appreciate and of course the art in all of them is incredible um and not to mention mike mignola on the original hellboy run has like this great like sparse less is more style it just fits the book so well that they almost look like paintings from a church you know it's, it's just really magnificent stuff and the reds in these books the color red is just oh, i could go on for days 
clearly, clearly, you might have to join us for Hellcast starring Nick. Or it's a solo show of him talking about Hellboy. He's gonna read you every comic as they came out. It's gonna be like a reading rainbow. I'm getting a, I'm getting the bird right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> hurry along. I have only read about the first three volumes of Hellboy, and like you, I I really enjoy the first three, but it kind of and correct me if I'm wrong because it was a long time since I've read it. It really throws you into the fire right off the jump, of like, hey, welcome to Hellboy. You know, like. Within the first 20 pages of the first comic, Broom is dead from like a frog that just comes out of nowhere. And then it's a giant lizard frog. And then Hellboy mm-hmm. fights the lizard frog. And then he goes on this adventure and finds the lizard frog. And then there's another book about McCavendish Hall and this fire and this monster and like ghosts. It's a great book. It is a great book. But but then it's just like Rasputin. He's here. He's evil. And it, it just kind of throws you into the like fires of hell. Uh, you could say in the first couple comics that I never really, I never, I don't want to say recovered because that makes it sound like this is actually matters, but like <laughs> I never quite found the footing of this universe the way you kind of have. And I think that is a really fair point. And I think that is why it has remained relatively obscure outside of mm-hmm. like the really devoted hardcore fans is because it is a difficult, there is no real like soft entry point. You kind of just have to jump in. Um, (laughs) And that's kind of frustrating at first, but I will say things like you are in good hands most of the times, like your questions do get answered. You know, I've been reading the series pretty regularly. I mean, BPRD just finished in 2019, so I don't want to like spoil anything, but like, you know, the Hellboy comics are essentially over in, in the, in the grand scheme of things, as far as like going forward, we can always go back in time and tell more stories. But like as a whole, it is a satisfying read and your questions do have good payoffs and, you know, things that are happening in BPRD book one go on for six books. Yeah, it's it's really cool. So I know we enjoy comics that can pull that off. It is tricky, but um, I think if you really invest the time and kind of like, you know, maybe have a little cheat sheet with you with characters highlighted on it, you might have an easier time. Yeah, with the Hellboy books, I was like, let me, let me get back into this. And I was like, well, you should really consult this Reddit page, which oh, really knows goodness. the chronological order of when, when the comic books appear and what issue you have to read. And it's like, Hellboy, the Seed of Destruction, Hellboy, Armageddon, do Like, there's so many expansive books. And Can I, I have be honest? Weird... Go ahead. Post it on that thread. Have you? <laughs> I've been like, hey, like anybody know where i can find bprd hell on earth five does it seem to be reprinting this year <laughs> uh my name is Nick. <laughs> my uh, my social security number is this this and this and if you guys could tell me where to get this hellboy book i'd be really grateful you're talking about the big nolaverse post yeah i know <laughs> i uh kind of radically changes my viewpoint of you as a person i'm not gonna lie now that i know <laughs> well i can't drop much lower so that's true um where do we want to go with this because like i i guess the best way to kind of be like all right so why are we talking about the movie and i guess this this is my pick you've been busy with school so i decided i'll take over for at least this week as well after the day of the dolphin shout out great Um, guy the reason i picked this movie is because i haven't seen it in maybe like a decade and i remember really liking it as a kid and we like to be little like subversionist people who were like, oh, well, if we're going to talk about a comic book movie, I don't want to talk about Iron Man or The Dark Knight or like the mainstream things. We'll get there eventually, assuming this show goes long enough and we keep doing this. 
but as of now, I don't want us to just talk about what everyone else has talked about. I want to turn over some newish ground. And Help With Me was like the first one that I thought of that is like an underappreciated comic book movie that has just kind of disappeared from everyone's consciousness of just like, it's the indie pick now of like, well, you know, Hellboy is actually really good. So I wanted to come back to it and kind of revisit it now that we're nearing 20 years since its release next year, which, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just mind shattering to think about. But yeah, that's kind of why I picked Hellboy. You were delighted by the fact, if I recall, you were. Oh, I still am. I'd also just like to say real quick. I'll, just mm-hmm. before you ask me this question, I'd like to say, folks, we're not going anywhere. Right before I got onto this call to, to launch this podcast, I'm scrolling through, and the day of the dolphin numbers are actively going up as I look at my phone. So, what are we at now? I, we're, this is going to be dating ourselves. What are we at? Uh, I think it was at 10 last time I looked. Wow. That's more people than <laughs> saw it in theaters. That's more people than listened to the Skyfall podcast. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> All right, good, good, good. This is great. I love that. Me too. <laughs> but what is your first time when you saw this movie? Like, how, what is, what is, what is does this movie start your relationship with Hellboy or does the comics inspire your relationship with the movies? That's a really good question. And like, I have a long pain in the ass answer to it. Okay, that's, I mean, look, you gave us about a five minute spiel about <laughs> which Hellboy books and why you love the characters. So I'll just let you go on this too. This is an episode that you did all the work for, and I just am taking over, I guess. <laughs> You're just showing up, and it's like, I'm going to dominate the space? Great. Check back <laughs> in with me when you got your note. Um, it's a great question, and I would like to say, um, Josh, you found like the two-and-a-half-hour special feature making of bonus on this, which I really appreciated. That was awesome. But that like reignited my first relationship with Hellboy, actually, a little bit. of uh, The first time I saw this was on DVD from a rental store. Just not like something we've talked much about on the show, which I'm kind of excited to bring up a little bit. Um, Just watching some of those bonus features, you know, whether it was Del Toro and Magnolia arguing about like how much, you know, branding Hellboy should have on his right shoulder (laughs) as opposed to his left, or, you know, Del Toro going over the sculpture of the frog creatures. Um, Brought back those memories of like going to the movie store, pulling it off the shelf and like going home, put it in the DVD player and then like kind of like really paying attention to the movie. So I really kind of remember just renting this from the video store, but I couldn't read the comics at the time. Um, I would have to sneak them. I would go to Borders or, you know, Barnes and Noble, wherever I was at, and I would read them. Well, because, you know, like we've talked about, we were kind of into some darker properties at yeah. younger ages. You know, my parents, like, I was eight, nine years old. You know, they were like, I don't necessarily think you need to be reading Sin City and Hellboy. <laughs> They didn't understand the darkness inside us. <laughs> yeah, that's where my interest was really drawn to. So, like, I've gone down, you know, um, one of the good things that I gave back to myself over the past four or five years was reading comics again. So now I'm just going back and reading all this stuff, like, that I've missed over, like, a decade plus that I really was intrigued by, but never either had the money to get or didn't have the means to get whatever it was. I have vague memories of reading Hellboy at high school. Like, not for for class or anything, but for, like, my library at school, either having, like, I've read it somewhere, and then I read it digitally as well, but I don't remember, and this is how we're going to get to the movie now, I don't remember my first encounter with Hellboy the movie. All I know is that, like, there's a rough, vague memory in my head, which I still have somewhere in my basement of, like, a Hellboy action figure, and I remember, like, playing with it all the time, and, like, the right fist of doom, and and just, like, falling over the design... And I was always upset that my Hellboy's action figure had his tail fall off. And I was like, well, he doesn't have his tail. 
not accurate to the film. What the heck? And I remember just being very peeved by that. Um, but my like most distinct memory with this franchise is actually with the sequel, which is kind of ironic that we're doing that. And <laughs> the story for that was I was about probably nine or ten, and I was constipated. So <clears throat> I don't know I don't know what was going on, but my parents had taken me to a bunch of like doctors. They're like, why isn't this kid shitting? And I I didn't know the answer, and there was this whole thing. And eventually the doctor's like, look, kid, we're going to give you some X-Lax and a Gatorade bottle and maybe some special pills. And you're going to be on the toilet for a while. So buckle up. I'm sure the audience <laughs> really wants to hear this. Well, I'm getting to the Hellboy now. And for whatever reason, I went to Blockbuster 2. And my comfort movie at the time must have been Hellboy 2. Or I'd wanted to see Hellboy 2. And I put Hellboy 2 on as I was drinking the Gatorade with the X-Lax. And I think I knew the movie well enough. That's why I picked it because I could just run back and forth between the bathroom and, and the movie, and like I could, I just remembered that very vividly. And this franchise, I can imagine, it. it was kind of horrifying because it was like, man, that's a cool scene. Oh God! And then just like sprinting to the bathroom down the hall. This was it your is, personal hell. I really wanted. To, I really sympathized the Hellboy. I knew what it was like to bring the pain in that moment um but yeah i i just haven't talked or thought about this property much i think we kind of talk about it more because you bring it up when we're texting about like i got the new brpd book and boy it's great you know and i i'm just always like yes nick that's great nick good for you nick um because i <laughs> i mean while reading batman comics so i kind of just kind of glad we revisited this property because it, it does hold a very sentimental place in my heart holds a really sentimental place in my heart too and i think one of the things that makes it so rewatchable is it's aged brilliantly i think as far as production wise outside of some cheesy cgi i think it's really well done like the set design in the beginning when they're in like the swiss island or whatever you could tell me that that was filmed like last year and i would believe it you know like i think that looks really well done the beginning stuff with abe and when he jumps in the water eh, doesn't look great but like all of the pr prosthetics and like practical stuff with the frog creatures i thought looked really well still there is a definitive camp to this movie and like a, a cheesiness that kind of pervades every single scene and element where like i think of just like the tone of like you got that song, and then Myers looks at the camera, and we cut. So, like, there is no BRPD, and then that scene. Or just, like, the way things are, are handled. And <laughs> I think of, like, Young Broom when he bites the, like, chocolate bar. He's like, yeah, uh, yeah, Red Monkey. You know, like, it is, it is definitely a, of its time. And I don't think I agree with you that it's aged well. But all the, you know, technical stuff of this movie is really, really good for the most part. Yeah, and can I tell you something? Go ahead. This is like the one thing because I was talking to somebody today and we had that same kind of conversation. This is my only pushback on that. The only reason you feel that way is because Spider-Man did it a couple months before and did it better. Because it's the same exact stuff. I was going to bring that up and I'm glad we're kind of doing it now. Of I don't think you get Hellboy without Spider-Man number one 2002 for a lot of reasons and i think hellboy borrows a lot of the same like i guess it'd be sincerity you know like spider-man one treats its movie very sincerely and there's like a niceness to it and i think del toro applies that same sincereness and love for the source material that raimi does 
which is why we get the Hellboy version that we get. Yeah, and I think you that's why you get like the human characters added to it. As much as I know that you don't yeah. really like Broom, but I th- I kind of enjoy that. Like I, I think it's intentional. I like Broom. I think Broom was actually the standout character for me. It's it's Myers and Jeffrey Tambor's character that I'm like, boy, these guys these guys stink a big raw egg, you know, like mm. woof. We can get into Myers character later. I have a section yes. called Nick Nerds Out, which we'll get into some like specifics. Oh, good, because I had a section called Nick's Nerd Corner, which I guess oh. we'll find the two. And whenever okay. you need to go there, you raise your hand, and I'll be like, "All right." I'll Never, I'm triggered. Mic. Okay, I'll maybe, I'll maybe run and grab some water while you do that. And by the time I come <laughs> back, I'll, I'll drink about a half of the gallon, and then I'll come maybe back. I'll be done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> But I, I guess the last thing I kind of want to hit before we get on here is the way that Raimi applies the cheese has aged well for me in a way that it hasn't with Hellboy, which is odd. Like, I rewatched Spider-Man 2 about a month ago, and I came away from it being like, this is so goddamn good. It's a great movie, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, maybe they're not mutually exclusive, but, like, the, the cheese in that movie, I think, works better because it is a more sincere character that is more genuinely warm. And like emotes more, whereas Hellboy by design, this isn't Del Toro's fault, is a much more emotion reserved, underdeveloped character that is kind of an angsty teen that drinks beer, but is also a demon. Well, and they fumble the bag too with one of the key things with the character of Hellboy and the BPRD in general. Oh, is, Nick nerd corner. <laughs> this must be first Nick nerds out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The BPRD and Hellboy and everybody is not a, a kept secret. Like they're open to the pub. Like they're open to the public. Like they are recognized. Like a Spider-Man would be recognized in New York City. Yes. It's not. A, it's not a, like an absurd thing for like all this to happen. So when like Manning or Jeffrey Tambor's character announces that there is no BPRD, it kind of undermines a lot of the work that the comics do to make that make that transition or that gap that you're talking about work a little bit better. I think. It's so funny you say that because I had seen like a post as I went on the Hellboy subreddit yesterday. Um, I saw like twenty of your posts and I kind of disregarded them. And I was like, you know what, that's the next thing. Um, <laughs> but there was a, a post from a comic which was called like Hellboy Lost Days. I don't know if you if you've read that one. Have, have you? Uh, I might have. So it, it's about him and a younger Broom when Broom is still alive, going to like a graveyard to investigate this haunting or whatever. And I'm reading it after watching the movie and like Hellboy's just in a taxi with Broom at one point. There's no like special truck. And then Hellboy and Broom are just like hanging out at a graveyard. So I was like, hey, Hellboy, how's it going? He's like, uh, pretty good. You know, just waiting for these ghosts to show up. Have you seen him? And they're like, I sure have it, Hellboy. But if I do, I'll let you know. You know, it's it's alarming to go from the movie where they're like, take Abe. The only thing between us and them is a glass of plastic or whatever, or a piece of plastic. And then the comics like, Hellboy, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah, in the comics, they allow that distrust to develop so it's like more genuine. Like Hellboy isn't on lockdown or grounded in the comics. He kind of openly leaves the BPRD. It's not like a big secret. He's like, I'm done. Like, screw this. Um, due to another character that I think would have been great in this that they didn't utilize, but we can get into that later. So I guess we'll, we're really going to get into this later. We're really getting ahead of ourselves, but like, is that a change you enjoy from the movie as a fan, or is that a change you dislike? I will say, now that I watch this movie with, like, a, a person who watches movies more accurately's eyes, I don't want to say a filmmaker's eyes, like, I 
I notice the flaws much more. And a person who really enjoys and loves the source material, I do find myself as much as I, as we are joking about like me being a nerd, but like I am not the person who's like, well, actually, Hellboy never wears boots. He only wears ho- he only has hoofs in the series. Like I'm not going to be that guy. But there are like pretty vast differences and discrepancies. I'm just like, well, I don't really think that works. I'll give a production fun fact. They were going to try and do the hooves. I don't know. Uh, they were going to. And then Ron Perlman's like, hey, guys, I'm 54. Um, I don't know if I can do hooves for a film. And they're like, we'll just use boots. And I think it was a good idea to have it be boots. <laughs> Live action, for sure. It just looked really goofy on these staunch legs like that, like drawing a man bear pig. Yeah. Like, and we'll, That's my hero. Hellboy. <laughs> you know what would have happened, too? They would have, like, shot it. And they would have been like. God, that looks ridiculous. We're only going to shoot from the waist up for the rest of the day. <laughs> exactly. So, can you explain this movie in sixty seconds? I'm going to make you do it because uh, I don't. Oh, I, I thought in my head. I thought in my head, how do you explain this movie in sixty seconds? And I figured out it was pretty impossible. I don't think I can. Okay. Do you want to just not do it then? You just want to just want to bow out? No, 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 no. Okay. All right, all right, all right. You want me? To, I'll give you. I'll give you seventy-five. I think it's a good. Give me sixty. Here. Come on. Oh wait. If, okay. I'm just saying, if you want sixty and you lose, you, bl- you blame no one else but yourself. Okay. Of course. Yeah. All right. Your time starts now. Okay. Hellboy is found after experiment in the 1940s during World War II. The Nazis tried to bring back uh, access to the Ogdru Jihad, which brings the the New World Order basically around. Um, Rasputin gets pulled into the portal, but something comes back from the portal, and that's Hellboy. Hellboy, we flash forward to modern day, is working for the BPRD, solving paranormal cases. Um, he finds these frog creatures, and he launches on this huge plot to find Rasputin, who's come back to life and been resurrected by uh, two of his, his cronies. Um, and then Hellboy is on an adventure to try and find him, along with Abe Sapien and Liz, who's uh, Pyro, and Abe, who is amphibious like creature mm-hmm. guy. Um, they go on this big this journey. And then they go uh, to, uh, oh, geez, uh, man, at the end of the movie, there's a big fight and some some people, uh, nobody dies really, but there's like a scene where this Hellboy and Liz kiss and Five, this guy gets fucked. That was uh, awful. You had three seconds to spare. You forgot the whole character, Professor uh, Broom. I you did, were like, yeah. they gotta know what Abe's powers are. You know, they, they must know that Abe is, is a water man instead of just being like, well, Hellboy's got this dad who's really cool, but then he gets killed. Like, is, and this is kind of the first question I want to ask now that we're here. Is this a good script at all? No. And that was the other thing I was going to say is yeah. I really think Del Toro probably should have stayed out of the writing room on this one. It's a mess. I was trying to just in my head think about like what starts what and why are we doing what we're doing? And I couldn't really do it. And the other thing too is I don't know about you. I'm, I'm sure Mike Mignola had a big hand in writing this and like working on some of it, but like whether it's Sin City or this, it's like comic book writers, comic books, like stay out, stay out of the kitchen when it comes to trying to write scripts. That's just not your bag. They should definitely be consultants, which I think is one of the things this movie gets yes. right about Hellboy. They had a beautiful relationship. Like, yes. Yes. Magnola is intimately involved. For those who don't know, Mike Magnola, he's a creator of Hellboy, all this sort of stuff. He's intimately involved with the production. If you watch the behind the scenes documentary, which is on YouTube, it was just uploaded like three days ago, coincidentally. I'm sure it's like seven, ten days ago now in your time. Um, it's like a two hour, 30 minute thing. And Magnola is there for like the first 45 minutes pretty deeply. And he's like, yeah, we could do this or we could do that. And just like 
throwing suggestions out. And that's one of the things that I do appreciate about this movie is so many comic book movies have failed because they kind of just throw the property and the source to the side and the creators. And Del Toro really leans into it in a big way. I think when you watch the clips, it looks like two friends. It doesn't look like two people Mm -hmm. who are trying to make a movie, I guess. Now it's time for the uh, history lesson portion of the show where we kind of talk you through the production history of this movie all the way from development, writing, casting, filming, box office, all that sort of jazz. Our first step is the movie Mimic, the 1997 horror movie Mimic by Guillermo del Toro. Nick, have you seen this movie? Have long time ago. Wow, you have. Yeah, Mimic. It, yeah, that's... It, I've heard it's okay. It's it's a what? I mean, it, it's no worse than any of the other crappy late to mid '90s horror movies that we love to watch. So are you saying we should do Mimic at some point? It's not out of the question. <laughs> okay all right i mean we've done day of the dolphin like anything should be on the table now that we've done the movie about the it's, it's yeah aces are wild for those who don't know mimic is a movie about a plague brought on by cockroaches that scientists try to combat i think they create like their own cockroach and then that cockroach joins the other cockroaches and then it's like which species is gonna adapt first and then I, how does that movie end I don't remember, but I do remember it being kind of like pandering to to Alien a little bit. I was like, this feels like a ripoff of Alien. That movie could have been called The Day of the Cockroach. It would have worked <laughs> probably better. You know, I, I think we should replace every every animal horror movie with Day of the Blank. Like Josh should be Day of the Shark now. Sentient Cockroach. Sentient Cockroach. Anyways, Mimic's greatest gift to movies and Hellboy is that it was a fucking mess. I'm, I'm going to stop myself swearing from there because, Nick, you told me to stop. Um, during production, Del Toro and Bob Weinstein, not Harvey, Bob, another big giant doo-doo head, they got into a bunch of fights kind of throughout production, one of which culminated in Weinstein trying to show Del Toro how to direct a movie. Weinstein really crossed uh, a bunch of lines, so much so that producer B.J. Rack compared the shoot to being a prisoner, uh, being a prisoner of a war camp. Maybe he met Robert Murray there. Uh, <laughs> but it, it just seems like a horrific shoot that didn't work well as the movie kind of evidence or is evident of, but the good thing is while shooting the movie, Del Toro looked for distractions. And one of the big things he came to was Hellboy. And he just kind of read everything there was at that point. There wasn't much Hellboy was three years old by this time, but he said that going on reading Hellboy was the only positive experience from the experience of making mimic. So that <laughs> should give you some idea of how miserable Del Toro is like. We're reading something someone else wrote that I had nothing to do with at the time. That's why I made that movie, and that was worth it. <laughs> In the pages of Hellboy, Del Toro didn't just find an escape, but an idea. He kind of thought the first three volumes or whatever it was at that time could be like a really good film adaptation in the way that it combines the superhero action drama with a more human approach, while at the same time, this is his words, Dealing with the trappings of a gothic fantasy full of monsters and adventures. See, when you talk about Hellboy like that, I'm like, let's go. I'm in. And then you're like, the Orcarad Nazgul and the space aliens. And then I'm kind of out again. Well, this is what's frustrating, right? Is this movie has the burden of doing all the things that the comics don't do because you're not dealing in a, a you know, medium where somebody can 
read a book at their leisure. We got two hours or an hour and 58 minutes, whatever this is, to tell a you know succinct, succinct story about this guy. But we also need to introduce this character. What my real problem is, is then they double down on it with the second one and wrote a completely different original story. It's like, well, there's like, now there's a dearth of material to pull from and like really like sink your teeth into some of these like stories or like have it be a culmination of, well, that's my pitch for a TV show. So I'll save that for later. But uh, that's my idea for Hellboy Wait, 3 at least. I'm going to say this. You are absolutely correct. This show, or this movie, I'm sorry. It should have just been a show. This is what this this property is destined for, hopefully, is just like the X-Files and Supernatural, but Hellboy. It's such a yes. simple concept that I, I, I hope someone does something with it. Because, like, there's a world where, like, if we're pumping, I don't know, $100 million into The Last of Us TV show, would it be that much more money to do hellboy as an hbo show or something or like it's on hbo max i i don't know who has the rights for hellboy nowadays i think lionsgate made the last film but like someone if you're gonna revitalize this property do it right with a tv show i totally agree and i know that they've done a couple animated series i wouldn't really be opposed to to like a bprd animated show or at least just some like you know continuance of the show or, or picking up where it left off like i just it doesn't work for me in the sense of it had too much work to do the movie itself it was it was doing so much heavy lifting and the script isn't there to help it so um, it's really reliant on the filmmaking and the performance of Bron perlman which is awesome but i don't know i just wanted more of the comics when i was watching that this time around we also make a great point of like, what do the comics do that the, the the movie doesn't? And like, the comics can take like five pages of like Broom narrating the whole like Project Ragnarok thing. And I remember in the first comic, there's like that long thing of like Rasputin, and then there's this other Nazi wearing like 3D glasses, and then we have Cronin, and we can really take our time to like not develop, but at least like initiate these ideas. Yes, I'd like to correct Nick Nerd's out corner. That is not Cronin. Cronin is actually an extremely minor character that got flushed out for the movie. Cronin is just a scientist. Um, there is a character who looks very similar to him. I can't remember his name. I think it's Vaughn something as well, or like another very like, you know, <laughs> Nazi Germany sounding name. But it Cronin is not a flushed out character in the comics. Ilsa is, however, which also pisses me off, which we can talk about later. Oh wow, what's what's that between my legs? Well, that's my tail. It's tucking in, you know. We'll see. <laughs> I just got, I just got, I just got slapped back by Nick's Nerd Watch or whatever, whatever we're calling this stupid segment. <laughs> Nick Nerd's out, man. Get it right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Del Toro nerded out over the property of Hellboy and essentially was just like, this is everything I've kind of wanted. It is the perfect combination of all my interests. And he really was like, let's make this a movie. First, he had to gain the rights. Gaining the rights, however, meant me, Mike Mignola. It became very apparent during that meeting that Del Toro was the only director that could translate the property of Mignola. I don't know if anyone had really gone to Mignola prior to this and been like, hey, I want to make Hellboy with a movie or whatever like that. But no, you can really... It's real okay, quick. Ahead. Nick Nerds other... out. Nick Nerds out too. Let's go. Not, not Nick Nerds out, but just really quick because I think okay. you bring up a great point because people not pursuing this property, I think it really harkens back to like exactly what I said about my parents not wanting me to read this. Like 2000, 2004, people are still like the word hell Heck no, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, it really was still a time like before, like, it felt like a little more sanitized. Like, people were not fully on board. Well, we're not even there yet. We're in like 97. We're like, there's this religious taboo about like everything, honestly, just yes. like around the world in general. 
So to have a character, and this is something we'll talk about later, that's just like, oh boy, he's a demon from hell. You know, you're automatically on the fringes of an audience and like who can actually be interested in adapting this. However, both Mignola and Del Toro didn't want to make a carbon copy of the movie. That was kind of the first thing they both agreed on. Del Toro was very adamant if you watch the documentary about like, this is its own thing. It uses Hellboy, the comic book, as a very loose, you know, basis. But we're not beholden to the ideas. And Mignola very much agreed with that. Because I think one of the greatest fears with a lot of comic book creators and why I think some of them are very reluctant to be involved with the film adaptations, or adaptation in general, and I know this is very true for Alan Moore and uh, Frank Miller, but these are their babies. And when you you put give your baby to someone else and they kind of tank it, and they're just trying to do what you do, but do it and kind of bungle it, it is very, you know, a personal thing for these creators to have that happen to them. On the track record, it's not very good. I oh, mean, yeah. up until Spider-Man, a couple of years before this, <laughs> I mean, I don't really think there's any top-notch comic book adaptations that would be in the top 10, maybe top 25 now, maybe Batman. I'm looking at my list right now. I think there's a couple. I think Superman, Superman 1 are really going to be up there, maybe. But those are dated, too. Like, there's there's mask of the phantasm but other and that's an animated thing that's its own different like thing right so up to this point you're just dealing with like crapshoots of like the roger corman fantastic four the the batman was still kind of thought of you know until a decade ago at this time as adam west howard the duck (laughs) oh boy yeah (laughs) you gotta do howard the duck at some point Oh, I'm glad this is... You've talked about that being our first comic book movie, and I knew in my heart of hearts I was not going to let you do that to me again. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to have another talking animal episode back-to-back, okay. so... Fair enough, fair enough. Maybe later. Maybe I think maybe once or twice a year we do a talking animal movie, whether it be dolphins or, or ducks. Episode 137, Howard the Duck. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta put that down in the long paper that I have where it's like, <laughs> Scanner Darkly, JFK. Yeah, I've seen thing. that. <laughs> it's because of this that Hellboy the film actually borrows from a d- bunch of different Hellboy comic books rather than a straight adaptation of one. Like we talked about, Rasputin doesn't appear until the second Hellboy volume really is a prominent role. Um, additionally, several characters in the relationship with others are re-envisioned or created from scratch. Nick, you nerded out before we talked about, about how Abe is not named Abe Sapien and that Wiz is not romantically involved with Hellboy. So if you want to go off again, yeah, I don't really have much. Um, Abe yeah. is named Edmund Langston Call, and I am in book four of BPRD Hell on Earth. I'm still not fully certain about Abe's backstory. I do, however, have Abe Sapien Volume 1, Dark and Terrible, so hopefully I will get some some more knowledge through that, some resolution. But he's a character who, like, is much more cynical and, like, skeptical of humans, whereas he's very open and, like, they make him almost kind of like a savant in the movie like this very like prim and proper gentleman whereas in the series he's more of like a like two pistols on his hips he's ready to roll he's like yeah he's like a he knows <laughs> kung fu and all that stuff like he's like a badass character whereas they approach him much more docile in this movie i think that brings me to like two things i kind of want to mention here so number one it sounds like they made Abe more like, I guess, the, oh boy. <laughs> they made Abe more the Donatello instead of the Raphael of like the universe or whatever you want to call it. And the second thing is this movie in the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie 
I was like, wow, these are really similar. And like this really odd way of like a father who keeps his monster children or son away from the public. And then the father dies or he disappears. And the son has to grapple with that loss and learn to overcome who he is as a person and then finally succeed as like uh, our hero. And I don't know why, but th- that kind of similarity just kind of struck me. I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on that. No, I don't, you fucking nerd. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah, when we get to the 1990 movie, we'd be like, well, actually, um, Shredder dies in the first comic book. It's <laughs> the first time they fight him. So the, the fact that they fight him twice in that movie makes no sense. And Splinter's not taken. Or, or you know, God. Chronologically. Chronologically speaking. <laughs> Uh, if they're really going to do a straight adaptation of the Mirage series, they should all have their red bandanas and not their different colored ones. It is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Back to Hellboy. Everything was going right for Hellboy, so much that Del Toro was sensitive that filming could have begun in 1998. The only thing standing in its way is that no one actually wanted to make the movie. Del Toro had spent years pitching to studios, but invariably the same complaints came back. It was a weird title. It was a bad script. I gotta say the studios were kind of right <laughs> on that one. And they didn't like that Ron Perlman was going to play the titular role. This is how we're going to get to Perlman here. Ron Perlman was like Hellboy before the Hellboy was like even a movie rule idea. In an early meeting with Del Toro and Magnola, the obvious question of who should play Hellboy came up. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're like kids at a slumber party or, or stepbrothers. We're going to say our dream pick at the same time. One, two, three. They took a breath and they both said Ron Perlman at the, at the same exact time. Can you believe that? I guess. Like, I don't know. What what do they have to, like, benefit about lying about it? Sure. Yeah. I guess in the movie magic sense, I want to believe that's how it happened. Well, like, who gets their wool put over their eyes and like, aha, we, we were lying about that. It wasn't Ron <laughs> Perlman. It was, it was Josh Brolin. We got you. You know, like, there's no like, Alakazam to that. It's Josh Brolin. And Josh Brolin could be a cool help. Uh, whatever. One of the big reasons why Del Toro, at least, I believe Del Toro at least said Ron Perlman. I don't know if Mike Mignola knew who the hell Ron Perlman was back then. Is that they had worked together, and I think, I think he's in Mimic, and I think he's in, he, he's then in Blade 2. And it's because of that, that Del Toro kind of thought Perlman could deliver subtlety and nuance with the makeup. So let's talk about Ron Perlman in this movie. Um, what's your history with Perlman in general? Um, really, Del Toro. He's in almost every single Del Toro movie. Um, true. I I think of him in Drive a lot. <laughs> um, Ron Perlman probably has been in a ton of movies that I really really enjoy, but he's always pretty much a character, or a tertiary character in a, a character bit, or a tertiary character in a movie. Um, but I I love him in this role. I don't think he's given the best dialogue, and the script really lets no. him down. But I think he really embodies Hellboy, and I think he has a physicality for the role as well. I remember him most as a kid of like Sons of Anarchy and then like learning that's Hellboy was like a weird like what moment for me of I couldn't really rationalize those two things together. Um, but he is great in this role. Like I, I, I'm assuming this is a question I want to ask you too of like when you read Hellboy comics, do you hear Perlman's voice? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that at least tells me you think it's, it's the definitive version. And I'd agree, I do like, 100%. The the one kind of complaint I have, and it's not even his fault, is like at times you can tell he's a fifty four year old man in red face makeup, of just like the way his face kind of has like the indents and the sags. But otherwise, it's a really great performance. I think he probably doesn't hit all the emotional moments you'd kind of like him to in an ideal world, but he gives a lot of life to a character that otherwise 
could be kind of one note, you know, like in this movie, Hellboy is just like, I'm angsty and I drink beer and I like Wiz, you know, and he kind of gives us a nice like softness. Of, I think of that moment when he sees Professor Broom in the museum and just goes, Father, you know, like there's a, a very, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling now, but like, I just enjoy that Perlman doesn't just view this as like a big blockhead. No, he got the assignment too. And I think you're right. Yeah. It would have been a really easy mail-in job, but even like, I agree with you. He doesn't hit all the emotional beats, but like, I'm also watching a guy in a big red suit and I can't imagine what that's like trying on the other side of that coin to then have to emote as the guy in the big red suit. So the last scene where Liz is like possibly going to die and he has to break free and he's kind of resigned to the fact that he has to summon the Aldrew Jihad. I thought it was pretty damn good for a comic book movie. I was like, this ain't bad. How do you keep pronouncing that correctly, by the way? Huh? How do you keep pronouncing Agugahal like like perfectly every time? I, I don't know how you're doing I mean, that. I've read it like hundreds of times. There's an Aldru Jihad, there's an Aldru Jahem, there's a whole bunch. <laughs> Excuse me? What? <laughs> Aldru Jahem, yeah, man. Go read BPRD. Got an NFL draft prospect coming up this next Turn up, year? Son. Turn up, son. Go read you a book or two. <laughs> Go read a book or two. Perlman also, his physicality in this role is really good. And I think of that moment like you're talking about in the, fi- the final scene with Liz and like, he really he drags his shoulders a lot in that scene, and just the way he's moving is not like uh, I'm stiff as a board and I want to get out of the suit. It's like I'm really processing what my character's feeling, and I am really going to just play that without a word of dialogue in that moment of like. And he he also like he looks badass, <laughs> you know. Like when those horns, when those horns pop up, I'm like, oh. It's the only thing that I I kind of I love that they give him the crux of he shaves his horns in the comics. I go into that more because it's like he doesn't want to, you know, look one. He doesn't want to look scary for others, but it's really he want it's him fighting the internal battle of like, I'm not going to be what everybody wants me to be. Um, I really wish he had the horns. <laughs> he looks way cooler with the horns than he does without. But I also think. A lot of the charm of this character is the fact that he's exactly. saved the horns, you know, like there, there's such a question automatically just in that design choice to be like, he shaves his horns, you know, <laughs> like in the movie, in the comics, like you mentioned, do a great job of like interrogating why he does that instead of just like made a design choice. Um, but yeah, I like it's It's a great performance from Perlman. I, I think there's maybe a world where like, I wish someone else played this role. You know, in some ways, just to see if we can get someone maybe a little younger, someone that maybe does more. We've talked about, you know, like if we were doing Hellboy again now, Batista would be my choice for Hellboy. Um, But I can't think of anyone at the time this movie's filmed that could have been better at this role than he really is. I I mean, I haven't seen it because I I just refuse to. Um, But I don't think David Harbour was a bad casting for the 2019. I think that works fits all the beats for well, that character yeah and like if you, i've seen clips of that and he, i the only problem with that role in that casting is like he doesn't look right in the in the, suit. In, in the makeup he just kind of like his face i don't know what they did to his face with that makeup but like it just looks odd and they gave him long streaky hair to the sides instead of like the bun he looks he looks too. He looks evil. He doesn't look like a good guy to me yeah. in the twenty nineteen. He looks like a, a, like a villain. Yeah. The one thing they do right with Harbor, I guess, and I guess the characters like Hellboy in the comics is like six five. He's like mm-hmm. six five. He's a giant, and like Perlman's 
I mean, not to shade prone, but he's like six foot. It's all negligible, but like. I know, yeah. Um, Perlman also was like deeply committed to this role. He worked out before filming. He worked out three hours a day, five to seven days a week. During yeah. filming on day, he actually would spend the four hours every day in the makeup chair. And then if he had a day off from filming, he'd just work out and lift. And it it sure he's fifty four in this movie. And he looks fucking great. Reps, yeah. Like that scene where he's just like doing the chest curl. I'm like, yeah, Hellboy, get that. Let's go. Like, I kind of wanted like an exercise of like Perlman as Hellboy, just like encouraging me to get it going. Well, even when like because there are some fights, and we're probably gonna disagree a little bit because I guess maybe I gotta go back and and really like start like breaking some of these things down. I wish I had the ability to like import movies into my computer and just hold down the space button and just play them frame by frame because I let CGI yeah. slide by all the time. Like it's one of those things that doesn't really like. I'm not like, well, that looked bad right there. I love the scene where he's tossing them around in the water and the camera's kind of moving and he's punching them and like it just it moves really well. It's very kinetic. I love that part. And then, like, there are parts where Abe's swimming underwater. I'm like, okay, I can realize that that looks bad. But for the most part, I think all that stuff looks good. But the best stuff is when he is physically punching through a wall or punching through the floor or, you know, pulling out his pistol and blasting one of those things as it runs through the air and punching another one as it tries to jump on his back. Like, it's all the, like, real physicality of Ron Perlman that works the best for me. The scene where he pulls out the gun in the museum and starts just, like, shooting it just looks great you know or, or i think the other great scene that comes to mind is when he's just punching down that wall with the right hand of doom mm. it's just it looks fantastic like it is yeah. an incredible makeup job by everyone involved to make him look like this with like the eye contacts are the only real thing of ron perlman's you can see mm. um so yeah kind of, you know good job ron perlman the only problem is studios were like we don't want ron perlman as our lead <laughs> Their feelings towards Hellboy and the whole idea of an adaptation kind of changed with the release of Del Toro's next feature in 2002. We're talking Blade 2. On a $55 million budget, Blade 2 made $155 million. It is no business making that amount of money in 2002. R-rated superhero movie. Not, uh, obs- another a, obscure property. About a vampire who's also kind of like Hellboy of like, well, he's the good vampire. You know, yeah. the anti-hero vampire. The success of Blade 2 gave Del Toro a choice. It was basically, hey, you want to make Blade Trinity or do you want to make Hellboy? He kind of tried to get both films made at the same time. And he was like, well, if I split my time here and here, I, I could do both. But eventually he just said, you know what? I'll do Hellboy. I believe it's David S. Gore who does Hell- or Blade Trinity. That movie is a woofa from everything <laughs> I've read. Uh, it's it's good. no good. So kudos to you, Guillermo. <laughs> you, you made the right call here, pal. I mean, the first two blades are fantastic. Two might be better than one. I haven't seen the blades. Those are like the, a big comic book blind spot for me. I'm just like, I don't hmm. really care about the character that much. And I think uh, you'll like them for the style. Yeah, probably. I mean, the, the idea and the conceit, I just kind of like the conceit of like bad, good version of bad person. It's just kind of an interesting idea to me, no matter when it is, honestly. Like, it's kind of why I like Red Hood a lot is it's like, well, he's the criminal that batman actually likes and loves you know like it's a cool dynamic mm-hmm. so here's some some juicy tidbits about the production of hellboy we don't really know a ton for the most part the documentary which is good if, if you really like hellboy go watch it but i didn't get a lot of like ooh, like there wasn't a lot of ooh moments for me it was just like what a scoop that is you know it's mostly just up to being like 
can we get the horns higher? And it's like, yep. And then they make the horns high. You know, it's just very bland. That's what production is, really. I mean, people are going to ask you those questions. Like like I said, that section where they're literally talking about how many branding should go on the left versus the right shoulder. Like, you got to have an answer. <laughs> or at least you have to be able to come up with an answer. I just wanted to scoop about, like, yeah, when we were trying to make the film, someone did this to us, so we did that. Or, like, when I was writing it, I really thought about this. And, like, I'm sure that's not what it's for. But, you know, as someone who's doing research on Hellboy for a podcast which is going to be an hour and 30 minutes would have liked a little more information, Guillermo, about why you picked <laughs> these comics. Like don't stonewall me here, pal. It's a steady hand. Cool. Cool hand. Luke mm-hmm. kind of guy. You're not going to get a lot of flusters out of Guillermo. He's just a great fella. I, I guess now's a good time to talk about this before we kind of move on. Just like what a cool guy. I wish, I wish I was Guillermo. Like a beautiful figure in cinema in all seriousness. Like just a, like a beautiful person. Love hearing him speak. Wish- yeah. Talked about him on our Memories of Murder episode and like just his insight into that movie and that small little clip that we watched. I was like, wow, I never like looked at the characters that way or looked at the story that way. And like seems like somebody who genuinely like is in love with the craft and helping other young filmmakers reach their vision. He produces a lot of stuff like just just an all around, I think, beautiful kind of person. I wish he had like a variety talk show where he just talks about movies like. I know we'll never get like a Cisco or Ebert again on TV because like for so many different reasons and that's just all YouTube now. But like if I can get a Del Toro hosted like thing just talking about movies and what he thinks about them, I'd love that, you know, because he just is such a dynamic, interesting voice. And the one thing I love about him the most is like as a foreigner, he can come to America with all these different ideas about our mythologies of like vampires and demons and and nightmares and Pinocchio. And then, like, robots and watermen, and then he can, like, play with them from a very interesting outsider point of view, which is an also a thing I think permeates all of his work, is the outsider in a way that's kind of Burton-esque of, like, mm. all of his main protagonists are not just, like, I'm the goody two-shoes. Like, I think John Myers is probably the most morally pure protagonist we have in, like, a lot of Del Toro movies. I, I, for the most part, would agree. I would say Pan's Labyrinth is pretty straightforward as far as the young girl but even she has a moral dilemma in that movie too yes they're all like oh why do i'm i don't fit in exactly and i'm gonna try to figure out why i don't fit in and kind of like that which is meta but whatever um you know a lot of people that were trying to get hellboy made just didn't like the conceit of the character because his father is a zazel who was one of the dukes of hell and i think a lot of guys who are like 50 year old producers they're like what is what is Azazel? <laughs> the Duke of Hell. <laughs> <laughs> to cope with their uncomfortability, they kind of pitched a few ideas to Del Toro and Magnolia about how they can maybe spin it. One of them was, you know, what if Hellboy was a human that only transformed to Hellboy when he got angry? You know, like Bill Bixby and the Hulk, which radiates to me at least of like, I'm a producer and the most comic book thing I've ever seen is Ang Lee's Hulk or the Bill Bixby show and is like, that's what I'm comfortable with. You know, like, I don't want to go further than that. Mm. Another suggestion was that even though Hellboy comes from hell, he would just look like a normal person. These are awful ideas, by the way, of just like, yeah, his name's Hellboy. And he comes from hell. But what if like, uh, what if Sam Rockwell was Hellboy? Just no makeup. Just Sam Rockwell. Just walking out of hell. Thank God Del Toro wanted to do this because in the hands of somebody who was doing this for a bag of cash or 
doesn't have the same relationship with Magnolia or the original comics, that shit would have happened. This movie would have been a big heap and trash pile. Well, we would have gotten a Hellboy movie eventually, I think, just because it is a popular enough IP in the superhero boom, and it would have been even worse. Like, you know, I think Hellboy 2019, for all of its faults, it is at least Hellboy-ish, you know, like, big red suit, right, big right hand, you know, but like, like you're saying, there's definitely a world where, like, we never get Hellboy 2004, and then in 2014, we get, like, Hellboy, and it's like taylor kitsch just hellboy you know and it's just taylor kitsch <laughs> is taylor kitsch but he's got like i'm the demon from hell you know like it'd be really stupid yes. so I, I i give del toro a lot of credit for being brave enough and to take the cachet he has at that moment from blade 2 to be like this is what i want to do i don't want to do a conventional studio film i want to get probably less money than i could have gotten for budgetary wise on a different movie and make a movie about hellboy 100% a passion project. Yes. Del Toro rejected the ideas of the Hellboy who doesn't look like he's from hell and the Hellboy who becomes Hellboy when he's angry and is mm. like, that's stupid. <laughs> and just decided to stick as close to Soros Joe as possible. While writing the script, Del Toro researched cult Nazi philosophies and used them as reference for the film's opening scene. Uh, yeah. If you don't know about this, you know, look this up. Some of the stuff about Hellboy is true. You know, Hitler... That kooky fella did a lot of oddball paranormal stuff. Did, yeah. Have you ever looked into that? Here and there. Um, yeah. I doesn't trust me. I think they're all a bunch of dodos, but... To coconut heads. All right, so, so we got three missions now for our time machine, Nick. Our, our first one, Day of the Dolphin, help rewrite it, fix it, and then get it released. Number two, we get the talking animal to kill Hitler. Number three, I think after we kill Hitler and we're, we're watching the third right get let out, I want you to call them dodos. Like, there is something perfect to me about you calling some of the most evil men on Earth dodos. Well, it's just a dodo brain idea, and, like, I have looked into them and the idea of finding the fountain of youth and all that stuff yeah. Yeah, in Africa. Yeah. Sweet, guys. It was... <laughs> I the meaning could have been like, really? We're gonna find the spear that stabbed Jesus? Is that that's what we're gonna put our <laughs> money towards? Or like we're gonna, okay. gonna, gonna, gonna look for for like stuff? Like, what are you talking about, Hitler? The guy in the budget's just like, dude, are you gonna tell him no? <laughs> it's like moving on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> Rohan, I, I don't think we could tell we just can't tell him that. We just gotta move on and do what he says. <laughs> oh boy. All right, so casting. We're gonna get to casting now. This was much more difficult on the whole than Perlman. Perlman was just kind of there. It was kind of right in front of them. Uh, for Liz, which has a... You want to talk about Liz and why they changed Liz and like how they changed Liz now? Yeah, I mean, most certainly I can get into that. I don't think they've changed her character too much. Um, Liz does spend time periodically in um, psychiatric units. The one thing that her character does in the comics, and Abe does this a lot... Um, they come and go a lot they'll be in the bprd a revelation will happen and they'll leave and they'll be gone for like five issues and you'll be like well wait a minute like we were like still like learning about that person we're still in the middle of their storyline which is really frustrating but um liz is really like kind of probably the person who has the most like conflicting powers because her she the start and pretty much throughout the whole entire run cannot control them until she does and becomes probably the greatest asset that the BPRD has as far as like power. Like she can take out like Audrey Hards in like two seconds. So 
I think they did a pretty good job, like doing that, like battle of rage inside of her of like, I can't control my powers, but I know that I am, that my powers can do great things. Um, but there is no romantic relationship between her and Hellboy. It's almost like a brother and like sister relationship more, which I really hate that they do in the movie. And I was tracking, you know, like only times I found myself looking at my phone was like when Hellboy's on the rooftop, like <laughs> surveying her date with John Myers. I just hate that part. And Hellboy kind of has some instill energy in that moment where it's like, hey, Hellboy, maybe just, maybe just let off a little bit. Go. Yeah. <laughs> it's coffee. Jack off a little bit. I said back off. Oh, I thought you said jack off. No. I was like, in my head, I was like, well, that works too. You know, that would probably oh. bring some rationality back to the head. <laughs> They're not back. Sorry. <laughs> Wolf, uh, eventually, the the team kind of came to Selma Blair. They tossed around a bunch of names, but they kind of was like, hey, what about Selma Blair? And that's kind of how we get her as Liz. Datoro felt that she could bring all that beauty physically and all that angst that she's capable of projecting on screen to a character that is beautiful and flawed. I think she's fine in this movie. Like, she doesn't, you know, like, I don't want to sound like mean or something like that, but like, it almost feels like they knew their budget wasn't that big. And so they knew they couldn't go big fish hunting with Liz, but they wanted to get someone kind of popular enough they could maybe draw on a younger crowd. And they were like, well, she's kind of, you know, in the like youngish crowd. So they went with her as Liz, and I just, I think this works better if you have a much older actress, maybe, who, I don't even know, like, I, I don't I don't like the romance in this movie, it's kind of a big thing. I don't think that angle's necessary, and now I guess I can get into this here. No. John Meyer's character is non-exist- non-existent in the Hellboy universe. Yep. Clearly just invented for narrative purposes, which is a pain in the ass because they have a great female character named Kate Corrigan who works for the BPRD already built in that they could have used for the same exact thing and eliminated that whole entire love angle. Like, and just completely had that out of the movie, which was really frustrating to me because I don't buy it. And like, I like, I really like Selma Blair's like physical appearance in this. I know I'm not trying to sound like a perv when I say that, but like she has a really like, brooding and dark like kind of face i think like that really fits yeah. liz and i think if you go any older you lose the like youthfulness that like she's still trying to attain and like still longs for because you know spoiler alert she kills her whole family accidentally when she's young because she can't control mm-hmm. her powers um mm-hmm. so she yearns for family and love and acceptance but like openly rejects it because she feels like she's too dangerous to society so i feel like she has a great physicality to her face and like she almost like kind of has this kind of pouty scowl to her that like i think really works for the character but i do think some of the chops maybe aren't there like you're saying um but i also think that they're relying on her to do this romantic thing that is just not the character he works way better as liz for me when it's like her at the mental hospital like talking with like hellboy about like hey i can't go back like I know you want me to, and I understand that, but, like, I have to do this for me, and, like, I haven't had an episode in months. Like, you really feel the weight that she's bringing of, like, I feel guilty all the time when I'm with you for what I've done because I'm embracing the things that have caused so much harm to people I love. Whereas Mm -hmm. when she's, like, I don't want to say playing, like, the quirky girl in the movie, but when it's, like, her and John, she's, like, well, I don't take my coffee black. Like, it's not her fault in that moment of the performance. It's just how the script is written. But, like, it is such a dramatic shift from, like, this traumatized, imprisoned, emotionally, uh, I guess, like torn up character. Like they, it kind of feels like they want to have their cake and eat it too. Of like, well, we need the the traumatized Liz, and we also need the romantic 
subplot, you know, and they, they don't really find a good medium. Oh, the, the two things don't gel together. And that's the other thing, too, is, like, I agree with you. I think it's really good when we open up at Bellamy, the in- institution. Mm-hmm. But, like, in the comics, what makes that moment so much more, like, powerful and hit harder is, like, we see Liz, like, openly check herself into, like, the psychiatric unit. And you're like, oh, man, like, this person is, like, completely lost. Like, it, it still has the same emotional levity that you're talking about. But I think they kind of do the character, like, too many disservices by, like, having her try to fit too many Hollywood tropes when this is just not that type of movie nor that type of character this is probably more of a scrap problem with the script than it is anything else but like they want to tell an origin story but they don't want to tell an origin story uh, we need to have the myers character to explain everything to us to be our like our audience insert but we also want to pick up with hellboy already established and liz already established and abe already, like it, it's uh, this is getting way off track here but this is why this movie doesn't work for me as much especially now that like I've grown up and I've watched other movies is mm. it's just trying to be too many things. And there's too many cooks in the kitchen and they're not all bad cooks. And individually, I think they're fine, but like you have Hellboy, you have Liz, you have Abe, you have Myers, you have Broom, you have Rasputin, you have the Jeffrey Tambor character, all seven different characters that you're kind of juggling at times to see like, well, they're going to impact the role in this and they're going to impact this movie in this way. And it's too much for such a simple story that could just be like Rasputin wants to get Hellboy to unleash hell on Earth. That's it, you know? I don't understand the need for Jeffrey Tambor as Tom Manning in this. No. It doesn't make any sense to me. Tom Manning in the comics is, is like a shadowy figure who comes and goes. Like, he's only there to, like, it's basically like any other boss. He's only there when you screw up kind yes. of thing. And that's how they portray him in the comics, which is like the, the right way to do it. But he takes on, he takes up way too much screen time in this movie and way too much space. It's just not necessary. He's also just not good. You know, that's another no. problem, I, I think. No. Another casting of note is Doug Jones slash David Hyde Pierce's Abe Sapien. Uh, Doug Jones is basically your favorite actor whose face you don't even know. He's the guy that plays Abe. He plays the thing in the shape of water. He's in a ton of prosthetic heavy roles where he's just doing a lot of stuff. He's in pretty much every Del Toro movie. Uh, I think he starts in Mimic and kind of has been here ever since. That said, Jones doesn't really get to voice Abe. That kind of goes to David Hyde Pierce of Frasier fame. I don't know why they did this. They amend this mistake in Hellboy 2 where Doug Jones just voices Abe and there's not this whole thing. We need to dub it with someone else and to David Hyde Pierce's credit, I don't know if you if you read this in your research, Nick, but people were like, hey, will you go on the press tour with us for Hellboy? Because obviously you're a big part of the movie. He's like, well, it's not really my performance. It's Doug Jones's. Like, I only gave my voice to that, so I don't feel comfortable taking part in it because it's not really what I did. He originated the stuff that I built upon, not vice versa. Kudos to him. Stand up move. To be like, hey, this isn't my role. Like, like, I'm glad to do this and I'll do it. But like, for now, I just want to make it clear. I'm a voice actor. Yeah. <laughs> Doug Jones. There's stories of like when they were doing the film, like fish tank scene. It was his birthday. And Del Toro was like, all right, well, we're going to strap you into this harness and make look like you're floating in the water. And then he came back out and he was like all bloody and scrapped from the harness and the suit. And Del Toro was like, well, get ready for a long shoot. <laughs> Happy birthday! Yeah, it was basically that whole story. Um, I think Doug Jones is great in this movie. Just like the physical stuff he does, and this is kind of touching Hellboy too more than we already have. But like when he voices Abe, I love him as Abe. 
I think this is where we're going to have our first. Uh, well, I'm going to have my first pushback against you. It's let's just go. not. It, it, let's go. It's out. It's just not the character. I'm sorry. It, it's yeah. it's not the character, and that's what frustrates me. I guess. Um, it's like again, I've gone into great depth of who Abe is in the comics, and it's just he doesn't slink around and put his hands on doors to be able to like read the past and who's like he's not. Tele- he doesn't have telekinesis like. That stuff just doesn't work for me. Like I, I think this is one of the big things that bothers me in the movies. They fumble his character completely. He doesn't have a breathing apparatus. He just openly walks out like in the air. He's amphibious and has gills. Like it just it's too much to me. I don't I maybe they did that to ground him and like make this movie feel like a little quote unquote realistic, but it just isn't the character. I know why they did it. I, I don't actually know, but I, I just have a theory. So from what you're saying about Abe, he's much more of like the anti hero, like dark brooding type of guy than he is in this movie i think they probably want look we already have that with hellboy if we just have basically another hellboy who like why would they like there has to be a genuine like change and dissimilarity between the two of them which is why we're gonna just make abe much more just like the nerd of the group yeah that's fair but that could be liz that's kind of like what what the Again, characterization is key, and and I guess now the more I talk about it, it's like, wow, Del Toro, like, I know you read these comics, but some of these are a little bit of choices, and I'm sure, like you said, obviously it seems like there's some pushback from the studios of this property to begin with, so I'm sure it wasn't an easy production from that standpoint. I would guess that the Myers character is probably more of, like, a studio suggestion slash, like, mandate than it is Del Toro actively wanted to, like, involve him. Because when I think about the other Del Toro movies... There is always like the outsider that comes into the fold of like Pacific Rim. We have Hunnam, who's not really involved with the research, and then he kind of gets in and such and such. And then Sally Hawkins is like new to the laboratory, I think, in Shape of Water. And then we learn about everything there. But they're not like audience insert characters with nothing else. Like the Sally Hawkins character has depth and emotion. The Charlie Hunnam character, I think his brother died fighting the Kaiju. Like there is something at stake. Whereas, and this is really putting the cart before the horse. Well, fuck it, we're in casting. Myers is just so flat and bad and weak. And one of the things I like to do when I'm writing basically anything, and I have a character, I try and think to myself, and maybe I've said this on the show before, but bear with me. Can I give this character in my head five different one-word adjectives to describe them that are not at all synonyms, that are all completely different on different sides of the lake law? Like, Hellboy, mm. you can apply that too. Liz, you can apply that to. There's five different words you could say to describe her character that are none are like the other. But then you get to Myers, it's like, ah, uh, good, nice, company man. Yeah. <laughs> They're all the same. No. Yeah. They're all the same. He's so flat in one thing. Like he he offers no emotion. I think if this movie was smarter, he caught takes bring up his uncle, make that someone of the Nazi party or something like that. Make him do something that like. There's a turn, but there's there's just nothing. He's he's very flat, and, and I guess like you said, now that we're like we've watched a, a billion movies, yeah. like <laughs> you you notice the seams of like what he's he's there for. His intent is just yes. to move the story along and hold our hand, right? Like it's that's why his character stinks is because we we can recognize him for what he is. That's just a narrator. And he adds nothing else. Like, I, I just wanted something from Myers that's, like, a little interesting. But, like, they force the love triangle, which is, again, another element of this movie that, like, kind of drags it down of, like, hey, I know she's probably going to end up with Hellboy. You know, like, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that the lead actor 
is going to get the lead actress and this is going to be a franchise. Like, mm-hmm. it, it'd be kind of awkward if Hellboy 2 and 3 were like, hey, uh, Myers and Lizard coming for dinner at Hellboy. You, you guys want to get pizza? You know, like, it just wouldn't work. So to, to force that in makes no sense to me. And then to just give him nothing of anything, we're just like, ah, my little name is Thaddeus. It's like, that's the most interesting fun fact about that character. It's just, it's, 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 I don't even know if it's the performer's fault, but it just stinks. I agree. Yeah. Going back to Abe, there are some casting what ifs. Nick, tell me you didn't look at these. I didn't. Okay. All right. So the first casting what if, and this actor was actually offered the role of Abe Sapien, was none other than Jeremy Renner. (laughs) Don't know. Don't know why that was a thing. He's pretty short, man. It must have been the voice thing, though. It must have been like, hey, Jeremy, just get in the VO booth for like a day and pop out some lines. But like, what a disaster. Oh, what a like, weird one. Yeah. Like... I, that would have been like Abe Sapien is the funny, wisecracking asshole of the group. That's what that would have been. Um, so I'm super glad they pivoted away from that. Jeremy Piven sounds like Jeremy Piven all the time. Every single movie. No, I Jeremy love... Renner. Oh, I thought you said Jeremy Piven. No, I said Renner, big big hot hot guy, man. Oh, I apologize completely. Then okay, then that works a little bit better. It's, I mean, it doesn't to me at all, but you know, it's each their own. Certainly a lot better than Jeremy Piven. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you have someone who can act versus someone who can't act one iota. You know, it kind oh, of. I, mean, does I like Jeremy Piven. I mean, I got Jeremy Piven on the brain. Apparently, I got Piven tattoos, bro. I I'm looking at. Uh, Renner's IMDb, and it's like Dahmer in 2002, SWAT in 2003. Yeah, you know, but that doesn't scream like the smart, like <laughs> the smart merman who's Abe Sapien. Like, he's a genius. Abe is like, I read four books a day. Like, I could do Abe Sapien. It's just like, it's a very flat, monotone. It's the Donatello thing of when I used to play towards with Donatello. It's just like, oh, hi, my name is Donatello. I'm, I'm the smart one. You know, like, it's the Spock thing, too. And Renner just, I don't think he could pull that off at all. I think Abe, I think Abe would have had more personality and probably been a little bit, like I said, probably still would have been a wisecracker, but um, I don't know. I, uh, Jeremy, what, how old is Jeremy Renner at this point in, in his career? We don't need to look it up and go that deep, but I'm surprised he's getting offered superhero roles. He's 32 or, or 31 at least is what I have right here. He got into the superhero game late, huh? Yeah, he gets in late as Hawkeye. He's 2011 in Thor. So, oh, okay. The other what if for Abe, and I don't know if this guy was really in the running or not, but it's just a rumor. Vin Diesel for for Abe would have worked 100%. Yes. I, well, would it have? Yes. Is his voice, was his voice too deep though for like a sensitive character? But like that's that's kind of like the point I'm kind of trying to hit is like that's not really fully that character. Like he is He's all the of those. I, I I know what you're saying, buddy, and I want to give you the Hellboy movie you want, but I can't change the movie that came out. I can okay, only play the cards I've been dealt. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm trying to. Okay, I'm just imagining like, all right, so we got the scene. Myers walks in and he's looking around, and then you just hear, "Hey, could you turn the page for me?" Yeah, like <laughs> the family. Turn the pages together, and then Abe's just cooking at a barbecue. <laughs> I just wanted yeah, tank top. <laughs> it's just Vin Diesel painted blue. 
Yeah, he's doing like Riddick and Triple X, and then it's like, hey, will you play the really intelligent genius uh, merman for us? Like, I, it just Ron and Reddick, they're like, he's he's already got the goggles on. He already knows what's like to wear the vest. Like, I don't know. I kind of like this. I'm kind of I'm kind of just spray painted in blue from from the Riddick, and we're just like, get on over here. And he was no like, makeup. I don't want to do this. Just spray painted blue. It's just Vin Diesel in blue paint. <laughs> he's like struggling to get out of the tank. He's like, let me out. They're like, Marine Shapey, you swim. He just keeps going. We're a family. They're like, all right, fine. I love him so much. I'll let him out then. Um, there's also rumors that Vin Diesel was offered or in the running for Hellboy at one point. If Perlman couldn't have done it, or if the studios wouldn't let them, uh, you know, don't want to be rude. Too short. No way. No way, Jose. I, I can't. He just, he just like, he's just a little bulldog. All credit to Vin Diesel. That guy is just great. Like, fantastic voice. I love Groot. You know, a long time like, listener, friend of the show, Vin Diesel is a Hollywood legend. But yeah, I'm not, well, not buying that joke. Hellboy. It's like he's the same height as Mark Ruffalo. I can't, I can't buy a Mark Ruffalo heighted Hellboy. Hellboy, you know, like, no. Is like I'm trying to think of who else could you have done? Like John Cena, maybe at this point, The Rock, if you if you really wanted to go from like the Scorpion King think, to Hellboy, but like, well, that was the thing too in the early 2000s. A lot of those guys in the wrestling world were trying to cross over to acting, whether it be Batista, John Cena, Triple H. Kevin Nash is in the Punisher. Like all those guys are kind of trying to like get those roles, but like that's really the only ones at this point in time in Hollywood that I think can play that role. Yeah, but but I don't think any of them had the charm yet to pull off a Hellboy. And I guess we're again off the pack. Like Cena now, I don't think he could do Hellboy, but like I'd kind of be intrigued to see what he could do with it because he has very much that like kid energy, but can bring like a little bit of a darkness, like as we see in Peacemaker. He's not that tall. No, but he's tall enough. Like Vin Diesel, we're talking like Vin Diesel's like a puppy, you know. Like I'm tall. Right, moving Diesel. on. <laughs> I can't have a Hellboy who's shorter than me. No offense. Last casting thing. Hey, John Hurt's in this movie. You know, just like I kind of forgot that acting legend John Hurt's just in Hellboy as Professor Broom, and he's great. I love. I think he's fantastic in this movie. He's wonderful. Yeah, he, him and Baron Perlman are the two best performances. And I, it's the other thing that this movie kind of stinks about. We never get a real moment of like a heart to heart with those two actors. And I would have loved it. I would have loved that Hellboy and that Broom just talking about like their regrets with one another. Because when the movie picks up, the relationship is strained. You know, there's something that's gone on that's just like Hellboy leaves that has caused a rift between them. And that rift is never really mended. Like, I, I honestly think the only real scenes we have Hellboy and Broom. Or when he's like, father? And then just like, there's no moment where he's always like pissed about Broom. He's like, oh, the old man's here to get me, or or father's here, or pops is whatever. He's still mad at me. And we never get that moment of like, oh man, father and son, they really do love each other. Hmm. Which, yeah, right, whatever. Hellboy was released on April 2nd, 2004. It made $99 million on a 60 to $66 million budget. During its first week in the film, made $23.1 million. It hadn't quite reached the, the heights of its other contemporaries. You have Blade, which, as we talked about, made $155 million. X-Men 2, which came out the year prior, made $407 million. And then you've got Spider-Man 2, which came out months after Hellboy, makes $789 million. Wow. That, that's when that's when the, the machine that we have talked about praised, ripped apart, you know. 
tried to pro- reprogram on this podcast a million times starts right it was right there yes once when, when spider-man 2 is like yeah highest grossing movie of the year and spider-man 1 is also the highest grossing movie of its year it's yeah. just like all right well let's push our chips in you know <clears> and <throat> i why do you think this movie didn't make as much money because i i think i know why go ahead I think you bring up a really good point in the document. Uh, and it was one of the things in here that you wrote. And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Like, and I'll, can I read it? No, please go ahead. Okay. Um, you said, I'm sorry, let me get back to it. Uh, I've, I've lost it. <laughs> this is embarrassing. This is a great point. I just can't remember it off the top of my head. So I have to scroll down on the page, which I wasn't on. Okay. You said, is Hellboy a film made too early to be accepted and too late to riff on what comes after? I think that is a really, really good point of of exactly where things kind of land with this movie is, yes, it has just enough in relation with Spider-Man and like X-Men and all those movies that we we're just talking about that like weren't at the precipice of taking themselves ex- extremely seriously and having a stinger every at the end of every single you know movie like you could still have some cheese and some prosthetics in real life. But it also is now there is no room when Deadpool and like guardians of the galaxy or peacemaker kind of have this corner of like dark sardonic inappropriate superhero cornered right like they're in there isn't a big enough audience that unless it's just the built-in hellboy audience i think for this to thrive in the meantime i think what you said there is actually really kind of a great way to answer that i mean yeah so like what made me think of that of like this is one thing we'll talk about now too with like Theaters did not like having a movie called Hellboy in theaters because it has the word hell in it. You know, mm-hmm. like some theaters just were like, we're not showing it. We are not showing Hellboy. Some theaters in the South are like, we're going to retitle it Hello Boy <laughs> because they didn't, I guess, want to confuse people with the Passion of the Christ, which was also out at the same time as Hellboy. And some just didn't show it during th- like Easter. Like it has a wide release during Easter, it could make a lot of money there. And some theaters in the country were just like, we're not showing it. It's wild to me, too, because, like, you think of that back then, and now I see, like, six-year-old kids at the bus stop with Deadpool backpacks on. It's like, what? <laughs> and that's exactly, like, my point, ultimately, was, like, it. if you make Hellboy now, it is tame, for the most part. Like, audiences can accept a, a movie called Hellboy, where it's like, yeah, his dad's the Duke of Hell. You know, they just be like, cool, awesome, you know? Whereas in 2004, it's such a metal radical concept, which is also weird to think about how far we've come as a society. But like, mm. it is such a benign thing of like, you still have baby boomers who are like saying things like gay people can't get married. It's immoral. You know, like that was the world we had. And yet the also tragedy of Hellboy is like, I think part, maybe you've read the comics more than me. So, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but like part of the charm to Hellboy to me is like, it is not a parody or a satire, but it acknowledges what the comic book medium is and plays through your expectations a little bit and riffs on stuff that we kind of know and expect from movies and stuff like that. Yeah, hundred percent. The pulpy noir of like the character of Lobster Johnson, who's not in this movie, um, who like who's who's basically like a Captain America and stuff like that. It really kind of subverts those yes. expectations and, and plays with tropes and things. Yeah, in a really fun and interesting and vibrant way, but still like working in that world. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that now, like, like, or I guess you can't, you couldn't do that then, like, because audience didn't know who Captain America was, so they didn't know what you were kind of making fun of and what genre you were poking fun at. Whereas nowadays, it's it's why the boys works now, 
of everyone knows the language that the boys is actively making fun of. You don't have to be like, well, you see, if you read this, you'll learn that that Homeland is a riff on Superman and that Black Noir is Batman. And, and, you know, like it is established in the canon of American culture now of who these heroes are. And if you want to play with them, everyone understands exactly what your point is. And you just didn't have that in 2004. And I just think Hellboy was a little too early for its own benefit and just too late now where like it just gets swallowed up as another piece of medium. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. When I read that in the document, I was like, he's got it right there. Yeah. It's a brilliant it's co-host I have. Well, you know, I'm not just a pretty face. You know, I got to say, I'm not just, not just a sweet pair of gams. You know, some oh, people no. think they're like, oh, no, no. Like, look at that guy's gams. He's got it. And I'm like, well, there's brains up there. More believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Once in a while, they come out. Just, it takes, I got to talk about Hellboy and, and the art and world of comic book movies, and maybe I'll get there, but otherwise, I don't know. pivoting now to the actual conversation points of the film and the cast. Is this Guillermo del Toro's best movie to you? No. No, me neither. Like we've talked about, it's just a bad script. It's, it's doing too little emotionally that I just feel, I felt nothing when the human characters were on screen for the most part. And even when they were interacting with the BRPD characters of Hellboy and Abe or, or even Liz. PRD, please. Yeah. I'm, sorry. It's sorry. not the BRPD. I'll issue, I'll issue a 500-word apology. I'll send that to you after the <laughs> recording. I'll apologize profusely because I, I fucked up your little Hellboy comic book. You can just send it to me and I can post it on the Magnoliaverse uh, Reddit thread. Okay, great, great. <laughs> My cousin has sent me this apology for getting the wrong acronym. So take that. Take that. <laughs> but, but I just think I think Hellboy 2 is better than 1 is kind of my hot take that I have of this I don't think it's a bad take to have I'm I'm just frustrated with what they could have done with Hellboy 2 but we're going to get into that when you ask me my favorite question okay so I my the reasons I like Hellboy 2 more than Hellboy 1 and this is kind of the benefit of Hellboy 2 because you have Hellboy 1 is everything's known you know for audiences and the writer you don't have to explain well, Hellboy is from hell, but he's a good guy from hell, and, and Broom and Abe and Liz. The dynamic is just solidified. We get rid of Myers, which is the funniest The funniest part about this character rewatching Hellboy 1 is like, Shed that dead weight. They're like, that guy is gone. Whereas in Hellboy 2, it's just like, hey, they solve crimes, and they're together, and they're a family. And we go from there, and I don't love the villain of those movies, and I don't love this whole like portal to another like world. I don't even remember exactly what it is. It's kind of odd, but I, I just remember thinking that and appreciating that was more substantial than like, oh, you know, cool set pieces. Yeah, I like the second one. But again, I mean, how many times do we need to have our villains live under a subway track or, you know, in pursuit? Of it? I swear to God, I, I uh, spoiler alert for the audience. I watched one and then I started number two last night. and I'm about to go finish it. And I, I noticed that the, the main villain, as uh, whatever his name is, I'm not even going to butcher the pronunciation. Um, it's like the fight thing too. Yeah, he's like fighting underneath a subway platform. I was like, "This happened in Homeboy One." <laughs> Who plays that fella? Can, can you remind me? Or do you know off the top of your head? Not a clue, my friend. Okay, it's Luke Gross. I, I don't even know who that is. All right. Well, anyways, congrats to him. On the, oh, he's in Death Race Two and Three from 2010. Okay, all right. That tells me everything I need to know. How do you think this movie is aged? So this is a question we kind of talked about at the top of the show, but like for me at least, I don't think this movie has aged all that well. 
and maybe that's because I've just aged. I don't know which it is, but I just I see the flaws more than I ever kind of did. I feel the same way. I found myself telling myself like, I want to like this movie as much as like other people who I. This is so bad and so sad. The other people I communicate about Hellboy with do. You know what I mean? Like I want to like it as much as they do, but I'm like, I just I I, I can't. It's good, but as a guy who loves movies and watches movies and pays attention to them, um, it's just it doesn't hold up as well as I thought it did. I still love all of the like practical stuff. I still love all the makeup and things like that. Josh is dying right now. I I, I killed him this episode. Well, because you're like, I don't want my r slash Magnoliaverse friends to know that I don't love this movie as much as I do. Like, like I almost feel like it took I a lot can't... of work on that board. <laughs> I'm a moderator. I, I know I could get a lot of listeners on that this episode, but I can't post it because then they'll know who I am and they'll know that I don't like the movie as much as they do. Magnoliaverse works in mysterious ways, man. I don't want to wait. I don't want to get taken out. <laughs> a lot of there's a lobster Johnson tattoo on the back of your head, and I'm like, they got him. Those Magnoliaverse guys got him. Oh, what a great reference. I'm glad you knew that. That got me pretty hype right there. I know who Lobster Johnson is. Come on, he's a great looking design. Um, but I just I just think it's not even the CGI so much like I kind of I've reached this weird point in my film watching but when I go back and watch like old action of 2000s I kind of like seeing how bad the CGI was because it's like oh it was the time like I remember watching Spider-Man 1 too like a couple of while a while ago and I was like gosh this looks bad but it it, yeah. it adds to the charm does and that's why i like this movie a lot i think like i said i love that scene when they're he's fighting those monsters in the water splash around like man that's fucking awesome i mean again there's some of it kind of crappy when he gets thrown up in the air by at the end by the outro jihad and stuff like that it's like yeah that's wow, it's age that doesn't look great but it's yeah as a whole i think it's part of the camp and you're also talking about somebody who's guillermo del toro who loves to do stuff in camera he's not a huge fan of posts so he likes doing stuff like that looks a little zany or silly like hellboy getting thrown through five glass cases and it is on a wire it's not you know done in post and on a computer so i guess i do appreciate like you said some of the cheesy charm that this like kind of has in common with some of the other early 2000 superhero movies well, even when the, the CGI is so like uh, uh, obvious, like when you talk about the one that they throw him up in the air, yeah, like, that it looks almost bad. works. It almost works though for me because of like this isn't a movie that's trying to take itself deeply seriously. It's <laughs> like, hey, no, this is a movie about Hellboy, and he's from Hell, and he's got a big right hand to do him, and he punches. Like, I I can buy it more when it's the movie's not asking me to be like, isn't this freaking sick? I could be like, they're like, yeah, this, that's cool, you know. <laughs> like I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like I could, it's almost like an unspoken bond of like, yeah, it's tried your best. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't your fault, you know. Right. Like like the Robin Williams stuff. It's just like, hey, it's not your fault, guys. You tried, but the the whole narrative of this movie just aged poorly on me. And it's nothing political, which is thank God. It's just like, I don't know. Like I, I, it's like well, Rasputin wants to get Liz, start hell, but does he know if he kills Liz, it'll make Hellboy become turn to the hell side and. And, and do they kill Bruno to make Hellboy turn to the dark side more easily, or do they kill him because he's just their end? Like, it's all over the place in terms of a script. And I, I did think the one thing that aged well, <laughs> to actually give it a compliment, just Del Toro. I, I just, he is such a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite filmmakers right now. What I love about him and just like the way he approaches this movie is like, 
it asks you to buy in immediately when the opening quote is in the coldest regions of space, the monstrous entities Agu Jihad, the seven gods of chaos, slumber in their crystal prison, waiting to reclaim Earth and burn the heavens. And you're like, well, excuse me, what? Like when I rewatched <laughs> this, I was like, I was like, what the f- what did you just tell me? And then if you're still on the, the fence, the first the next five minutes is like, hey, there's magical Nazis, and then FDR, one of the most respected presidents ever, he's got a paranormal advisor. And I'm just, you're just like, all right, well, if you can't buy in there, then, then leave. But otherwise, get in your seat. It's Del Toro time. He's going to work. Yeah, even Nightmare Alley, same kind of thing. Like, that yes. movie is, has a lot going on in the first 20 minutes, and it's asking you to, to suspend a lot of, like, belief. And then you're like, you know what? I'm kind of, like, entranced, and I'm on this ride, and wherever he's going to take me is where I'm going to go. And that's the same thing with Pan's Labyrinth. I love that's my favorite movie by him, giving my decade away a little bit there. But um, it's just, it's just a brilliant film. And, like, I think one thing that I love about Del Toro, too, which you kind of hit on, is, like, this idea of being a foreigner but understanding language as a uni- – like, in cinematic language, and that is – universal it doesn't matter and i think he does a really good job of like portraying character no matter if it's you know taking place during the the spanish war or whatever like you know pan's labyrinth or it's hellboy or it's nightmare alley you know the shape of water which you know it goes but like yeah i said the better know what i mean but like you you always you can suspend you can leave your your belief at the door with him and and be allowed to be fantastical and and Kind of get lost in these big set pieces or these big worlds while having this great camera work and visual style yes. that is just really kinetic and like there's a lot of inertia with what he does of like he's building and building and building and then we we bust not to sound too sexual but right. um eventually there's a point where everything just like culminates with a lot of his stuff and it's just like Ooh. uh it really just tickles you i'm trying to think because I love the way Pan's Labyrinth looks. It feels like it's shot by Emmanuel Lubezki, but I don't know if they've ever worked together. Mexican-born filmmakers. But I don't think that they've ever... No, I'm looking at it right now. I don't see anything in here that Guillermo Guillermo directed. Um, But he has like this, yeah, very fluid and kinetic, dynamic range with a camera that I love. Would you love it? How much would you love it? I guess I know you're going to love it. Del Toro announces Hellboy 3 is his next project. Um, and he's like, Nick, I've come to you. And I've, I listen to the show. I know about Nick Nerds Out. And I need input on where we go with Hellboy 3. Where do you want the story to go? Got you, fam. Okay. This is how it's going to be. I'm not going can I, can to... Can I say one thing? Can I say one thing? Before yeah, I, I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want to be mean. Hellboy 2, just to refresh the audience, if you haven't seen it, it's really silly. It ends with Liz and Hellboy having children. And she's like, we're having twins. So so here's my immediate question. Are you going to work with that at all? Or are you just tossing that to the side? Like, you're just like, the Hellboy twins are in college. We're, we're, they're in college. We're not concerned with that. Okay, great. Okay, great. Move on now. Sorry. Okay, we're opening up. We're not doing the same thing. Like, I'm taking the Matt Reeves approach. If I see Hellboy being born and going on the island again, I'm going to rip my hair out. We're taking place farther down the line where Hellboy is reminiscing and interwoven with these vignettes of past cases that Hellboy has been on. We're going to take a little bit of a detour. We're going to spend some time with Abe. We're going to get into Abe's backstory. And that is actually the real catalyst that's driving the movie. 
Have you written the script? No. I'm a little afraid that, like, one night soon, I'm going to get a text from your girlfriend. She'd be like, yeah, Nick's staying up till, like, 2 a.m. And all of here must be like, Hellboy starts this, and then Abe, Abe says this. And it's just you walking around your apartment just, like, thinking out loud the script of Hellboy 3. And, I'm just, and I'd be like, uh-oh. So I think you could do a lot of great stuff. You could interweave a lot of the like one-off stories where Hellboy is like recounting his past and stuff. I have a couple that I would specifically like to lean on, but I think then having the focus be on somebody else that is not just predominantly Hellboy would be refreshing. And I think you could have a real chance to do a lot of stuff with Abe's character that is more it has more Abe's character has much more depth than Hellboy throughout the comics. We were, we're with Abe more. We learn a lot more about Abe if you go past the Hellboy series. So if you know anything about that, there's a lot of stuff involved with like the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, history of Washington, D.C., like and him bringing about the end of the world and the apocalypse, basically, but having to reckon with it in a different way than Hellboy. So I think you could do a lot of stuff with it, but that's kind of like my main idea. Okay. Uh, next question about Hellboy 3, if Del Toro came to you, which again, never going to happen. Would you keep Perlman? Would you keep Perlman at all? Or, he's 72. I don't want to be rude to big old Ron, but he's an aging fella. I guess that's my workaround with him being an older Hellboy Ooh, and kind clever. of recounting of um, his past stories. That opens up the casting pool to whoever when we go back in time and stuff like that. Um, and I'm talking like I'd like some stories. There's There's young Hellboy which is a series yes. too. I'd love to have some of the young Hellboy stuff in there too. I think you could really build upon the emotion of the character. So, yeah. This is a crowded third film we're talking about here. <laughs> like, we're going to have a young Hellboy, then the Abe second act, and then the reminiscent of Hellboy the third. There's going to be a lot of dissolves. We're, there's going to be a lot of like, we're going to keep okay. it moving together. Yeah. Okay. There it might be 10 hours. It might be. <laughs> this is like my Godfather this... too. This is going to be the theatrical cut. And this is going to be the shot cut of like, well, this is my cut of Hellboy. Four hours and 38 minutes. Yeah, that's my cut. Yeah. <laughs> we have four different chapters. I'm going to have the frame ratio be three by four. It's going to be black and white in the shot cut. It's going to be great. You know, I'm just going to say, I've been dancing with the Snyder fans since we started the show. It's such a stupid movie. It's such so dumb. Ugh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, speaking of boys, there's the Hellboy video game that's coming up, which, by the way, if you don't know, they're making a Hellboy game. It looks great. I'm, it looks I'm like a comic Yeah, it, it does absolutely. It, it, I'm so in. Does that give you any hope that this franchise has a cinematic pulse, or do you want it to just be nothing? Do you want it to just end? Depends on the video game. And here's another thing: we're all going to nerd out on us. We both okay. play video games, <laughs> so it's gonna it's gonna depend on that game. Is this going to be a game where I go level to level, and it's very like? linear and i don't have the ability to like upgrade and do some stuff there's no multiplayer and this is just like a really quick campaign then it's going to live and die in a couple months and it's going to be the same right. kind of cycle for hellboy every eight to nine years maybe we get a project but if this game takes off and it finds its audience and i think we might have a chance at maybe an animated show which i'd be all for i would love an animated hellboy i think that's and i think i said this before in a previous episode that is the untapped area that comic book stuff should just work in. Because when you talk about, like, <laughs> all this weird stuff, like, well, you can't cast this guy because he's too old. And it's like, well, if it's animated, you can just do whatever you want. It's just his voice. And I, I think Hellboy is prime for that. I haven't seen the animated movies, but those seem to me to be more of, like, what this franchise should be of, like, Hellboy the cop. 
you know, and maybe there's an undercurrent underneath it all of like Rasputin doing this or whatever you want to call it. But like, there's such an interesting way you could approach this of like law and order meets Hellboy meets like Armageddon. It's just the concept of Armageddon. And then like the other cool thing to that too, is like, we're talking about, there's all these little breadcrumbs that are expanded upon in like BPRD. So like you have the Zinco corporation and then right. there's like this like nice, really cool, long, like, you know, storyline you could play out and tease with that about like, all right, well, who's really behind a lot of these bad things happening to the planet? Like there's just so much material to dig from now, 20 plus years of comics. I think like you said, the animated realm is where this exists should exist. There's two animated movies. I apologize. I misspoke to all the Magnolia verse guys. Don't, don't, you know, Come after me. They're just, two uh, Nick, movies. I just got an email. They're taking away your card. They're taking away no, your Magnolia. No, no. uh, but they're both um, written by Mike Magnolia, so they have a lot of like DNA with the original, and they look great. Uh, so that'll probably be what I watch next. The other thing we're going to talk about real quick before we get back to the movie. Uh, Lance Reddick is voicing Hellboy in the game. Don't know who came up with that one, but maybe you send it back to the drawing board. <laughs> just could could we not use like steve blum who voices wolverine in pretty much every single animated anything like give me steve blum who plays like cloud tube or whatever its name in final fantasy I, have you wow. have you did you hear the lance reddick like voice in hellboy i heard it a little bit i mean it didn't sound that off to me yeah. it's just he's like oh man like it seems like lance reddick doing like a new orleans accent and i'm like oh, maybe you just you skip perlman yeah, and what a, what an easy paycheck for him at seventy two. Just hop in the booth and do some ADR work. Oh, okay, we're gonna get let Nick nerd out more. What is the best change of the comics? What is the worst change? What do you got for me? Um, I think the worst change from the comics is making Liz and Hellboy's relationship romantic. I think that's my least favorite change, and the characterization of Abe. Uh, I think the best change they made. Hmm, that's a good question. I think the best change they made was actually probably fleshing out Cronin's character because there is a character that's similar to him in the comics, but he's not as badass with the knives and all that stuff. So like expanding right. on that character and making him more of a like a badass villain, I would say it was a good decision. That was one of my notes too when I was watching the documentary. They're like, yeah, Cronin's a pretty minor character. And when I finished watching this, I was like, great job. What a cool guy. Of like, That is a type of like oddball stuff that I think Del Toro excels in. It was like, well, he's this ancient guy from 1894, whatever, who's replaced all of his blood and cut off all of his like limbs to be like a mechanical robot man that, <laughs> who yeah. like does kung fu. It's great. It's so cool. It's just such a nice blend of like all these different weird things and be like together all at once. It, it's awesome. That's it's that world cinema outside perspective yes. that we don't have that right can pick from here and pull from here and blend these things together and make this like really cool original character. Yeah, I totally agree. The one thing separate. we don't care. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It doesn't have to be five people. We can make that one character. Yes. I think one thing that also kind of pisses me off is like, I had it on my, one of my last notes is Ilsa's character in the comics. Ooh. Her relationship with Rasputin is like much more like, romantic it actually is probably one of the only romantic relationships in the comics that you can believe and it also involves her like, like they don't explain how she retains her youth but like in the comics she uses an iron maiden which is how she stays young and like vibrant like such cool material again to tap into and they could have done some stuff with so um i thought her character was really underdeveloped too they kind of did her a disservice 
We'll talk about her later. Don't worry. Uh, my best slash favorite change is just the way they approach Broom. If you read the comic book, Broom's there, like I said, for like five pages, then he dies. Like a frog touches him, he's like, "Oh, you're right, yeah." He just gone. He's he's one notice. It's like, yeah, he's a guy who saved Hellboy. But this movie gives him such humanity and a lot of stuff. And I love the fact that he just doesn't die from some random frog because the frog touches him. He dies because like the the villain gets there. But the villain gets there because Hellboy is too busy being selfish, chasing after Liz instead of spending time at home with his father and trying to like get together and work on the case. That is a great change that actually speaks more volumes about like how does Hellboy grow and why does he want to become a father? Like how does he mature? Whereas in the comic books, it's just like, yeah, Hellboy's there and then this frog touches him and then he fights the frog. It's just kind of shallow. The motivations in the comics are not nearly it's it's frustrating to me and i've told you this off mic but it's like the the other books in the series outside of the hellboy books tell you more and give you more of the characters than the original hellboy run which is very frustrating because the the original hellboy run is so brilliant that's why i say i think it needed another five to six years is this movie more a story about fathers and sons or monsters accepting who they are? That was kind of the big takeaway I had on this movie. I think it's monsters accepting who they are. I do too, which I don't like. I, I wish it was the other. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker for like mother and son and father and son, all this sort of familial stuff. But I love a good family drama and making Hellboy a family drama. It's such a rich idea of like a Catholic that raises a demon. And the demon rejects all the, like, not the religious and moral piety, but just, like, the societal, like, awareness of things. Of, like, well, I'm going to drink and I'm going to smoke and I'm going to eat pizza. You know, like, like, there is such a nice contrast between these two characters that we never really get, which I've talked about already. But I just wish it was more story about, like, Hellboy realizing he has failed his father and he's without him now. And he has to learn and get revenge on the people who took him from him. But it's not really like i don't think we get really a broom mention after he's killed he's just kind of like yeah broom died hellboy said yeah it's it's a lot of groundwork and that's why this property works better as a tv show because all these are just literally a one hour 30 minute episode like all these things you're pitching Mm -hmm. and hurt i just love the way of hurt when he's just like i know what to call him son it's like it's the warmness i want give me ah well real quick like i think but I do think, as as a guy, I'm going to spoil it. I know that the the series is over pretty much. It ended in 2019. Essentially, Hellboy ends the world. No, nobody makes yeah, it. Yeah, I read like, this. Everyone dies. Like the world ends. So, as far as like the assignment and the source material, that is accurate. Like that is his main complex. Yeah. <laughs> like, do I do this deed or do I reject my destiny? And he does it for the right reasons in the series, but you know. It's pretty bleak, so I guess that's kind of fitting. I hear that. I just, you know, I think the movie wants me to be invested in Kara, that broom's gone, and yet I never really do, because it never laid the groundwork for me to feel that way. And then it never laid the groundwork for me to feel that way about Liz and Hellboy's romance and the story of monsters accepting who they are, because, like, what really changes for Hellboy at the end of this movie other than just, like, well, him and Liz are a thing now. It's like, well, he's still going to be stuck in that little, like, cave, He's not exposed to the, like he's exposed to society, but there's no like, all right, Hellboy, here's an apartment or like, (laughs) 
<laughs> oh boy, get on the talk show, you know, like, yeah, yeah like it just kind of ends where it starts in that way, which is kind of disappointing for Del Toro, who's such a, a great artist with about stories. It's pretty back to one. Yeah. Dumb question, though, before we get to uh, <laughs> my favorite. Would you rather have Abe's water breathing ability, Hellboy's right handed doom slash metabolism? That dude, that dude's eating like chili and pancakes and pizza, and he looks. Bruce. Oh, it's just so jealous. Or with his pyrokinesis. What, what do you want? Good question. I think I'm going right hand to Doom. I mean, it's so cool. Yeah, it's just badass, man. I love, too, how it I looks mean, like stone and the little pieces get chipped off of it and it's hard as brick. I'm just like, let's go. It'd be really debilitating in some ways, though, of like, I'm grabbing some toast and I just smush the toast accidentally. And I'm like, definitely ah. don't want. You want to be a lefty if you have the right hand to do. You got to learn how to write with we're your both, left. We're both right-handed, so it'd be like my giant right hand of a stone trying to grip a pencil and write like a check, and it'd just be like ah, like I I I need mechanical help with everything, or just like trying to open a door and just rip a door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It. Like it'd be like Superman, but without like the gentleness, and like we're just giant men who just don't know what we're doing with our giant stone arms. But like, yeah, but I, I would want it. I'd want it to be red. So, like, if I had to do with a flesh-colored right hand of doom, it'd just be like, it'd just be gross. I think yeah, people would be like, "Oh my god!" Like that guy has like a disease or something wrong with him. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think it'd be more than a disease. I think they'd probably be like, "Let's dissect him. Let's figure out what's what's that about." <laughs> the other thing, you know, like right hand of doom can't do some other stuff i think humans need to do which sure. about that, but right you know just really get in the way if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but i think i'd go with liz's pyrokinesis maybe it's a little safer if i can figure out how to control it and <laughs> but um, it's a little safer well this is this is called a segue nick because i'm just saying that because there's one person in particular that if i had a pyrokinesis i'd take it to them maybe i'd take it to the film that their performance is on and just blaze it and we can never talk about it again. They can fade away from the atmosphere. It's time for the Colonel Tom Parker Award. I am the legendary Colonel Tom Parker. You look lost. Get ready for the spotlight. All right, this is a bevy of lists. You know, like we got I was thinking about I was 20 minutes and I was like, wow, there's only one guy right now. And then they all come pouring in. It's it's a great Colonel Tom Parker feast. First candidate, we have Rasputin. I wrote, he doesn't even sound Russian. He sounds like a British guy doing a German impression, except he's portraying a real life Russian person. I have a note about that too. Yeah. I put uh I put one thing that hasn't aged well is the modernization of Rasputin. I think that character's appearance needs to be trapped in his time, not made to look like he's an extra in the Matrix. Yeah. Oh my God. That's thank you for finally bringing that up. He is such a dumb villain too. Like, like he just sits there. He's like, "Hello, it's me, Rasputin. I have funny glasses," and then he's gone. And it's like, <laughs> "I am not ill." It's just like, "Oh my God." Yeah, it's rough, and like it's also tough too because it's like. Well, like, well, how does he stop Hellboy? Well, magic. Okay. Uh, Jesus saves the day. Like, literally, yeah. the, the end of this movie is like, uh, Jesus, remember your good old morals. And just remember to eat an apple a day. And it's just like, all right, great. Nailed it. Nailed it. It's not like he throws Professor Broom's, like, photo where he says, Broom, he's like, oh, remember who you are. 
Um, but Rasputin, is he this bad in the comics? It was like, this is such a one note character who just like, I'm evil. Oh, yeah. He actually kind of torments Hellboy. See, I wanted that. Yeah. Really, is kind of he kind of goads him more than anything. He's like, haha, like, see, you can't fight destiny. You are destined to this path. Every time you think I'm gone, I'm here in, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a crow or like he has different embodiments of himself. Like there's pieces that are taken of him by the Baba Yaga, where it gets into some real myth and lore and stuff, where like he's more of just an entity and a spirit. Yeah, it gets really cool with him. That's why I was saying to you, it's much better in the comics with his character when we're talking about That's such a cool concept because what you could have had is you could have had like Rasputin show up in the first act again and say to help him, like, your father is going to die and it's going to be all your fault. And then, like, there's this whole buildup of, like, what? Broom? No! And, like, Hellboy's trying to protect him, and then he doesn't. Or, like, the, like when he points out, like, Clay's, like, Clay's going to die, you know? Like, there's something you could have done where it's, like, he's constantly telling Hellboy what's going to happen. And then he, the final thing is, like, you're going to turn over the world to me. And then, like, that's the one that Hellboy stops. You know, scene, like, you could have done that. scene where he confronts Hellboy in the alleyway and kind of, like, does some foreshadowing is much more his presence in the comics than it yes. is in this movie. And how it is in the movie, yeah. He's just bad in this movie. I don't know if the actor is. I don't want to give him any credit. I, I think the one problem Guillermo del Toro has, he just doesn't write or cast good villains for the most part. It, 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 he's just, they're all stale, which is why the next candidate is Ilsa. Mm. He's bad. A lot, of, a lot of missed opportunity here, again. Yeah. I love when she goes, Sign it! And then when 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 Rasputin's like, she goes, imagine it. And, oh no, he's just on the Hellboy. Imagine it, and Eden just for you and her. Like it almost sounds like Colonel Tom Parker what she's doing. It, it's it's clearly a British lady doing a European accent that's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think she's very good in the movie, but the characters they could have done a lot with the character. So talk me through that. Well, just like how I was saying, you know, like their relationship and is is actually one of the only few romantic relationships that is right. like in the comics which is cool because it's two villains and on top of that like uses an iron maiden to retain her youth which they never explain she just looks exactly the same um, yeah i thought eventually we'd be like, well chronos it makes sense or whatever you pronounce it it's just like oh well he's a mechanical man but but with this it's just like nah just rolls up she's good she's great yeah. that that's a huge and chunk of information you're just missing which is tough or like how rasputin just comes back to life like, we watch him die and get sucked away or whatever it is, and then it's just like, ah, you a little bit of blood, he's good. Let's go. Paper yeah. cut. He's back. You know, like, like if some a little bit of explanation would just be great on that. But <laughs> Bridget Hodson, she tries. She fails. And uh, so doesn't the guy who plays Myers. He just, uh, I call him Flatty McFlatface. I don't think I can give this to him because he's too bland. He doesn't distract me, which isn't the award. I think a strong contender here, though, it's Jeffrey Tambor. He is he is such a bland generic. I'm the bad government agent we're supposed to dislike, but actually has a heart of gold. You know, it, it's just a bad, bad performance. What is going on here? We stay put. Yeah, it's tough. It's between him and Rasputin. It really is. I, I also love the movie. Only in two scenes, which is also another yeah. thing that's kind of rough. Well, the thing I love about Tambor is he's like, hey, hey, what's wrong with you? He says to Kronos after Kronos slashes his in, in the arm, and he yeah. knows that Kronos killed his friend, Broom. He's like, what's wrong with you, man? 
like, mm. can you not put together this guy's just a psychopath Nazi? Like, God damn, Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> Danny, wake up, idiot. Read a room. Yeah, like, like I, there's a way you can make that character good. It, like, I was just like, the good guy who has a heart of gold at the end and he turns around. But he's just a dick the entire movie. I'm just like, I, I don't care about this guy. He's so douchey. Yeah, one note. But I think in the spirit of the award, we have to give it to a person that's not European, doing a European accent. I think it's got to be Rasputin. I agree. It's Rasputin. Okay. He he chews and and claws and boy, he's to you, he's, sir. He does, say congrats. It doesn't look like he's having a great time either. Is the like shocking thing? It's just like he just feels like he showed up on script or on, on the studio and was just like, "All right, um, sure, great, let's go." I found the actor. His name is Carl Roden. He's actually from Czechoslovakia. So I, he's been in some good stuff, and now you kind of have to eat your words a little bit. Well, you know, maybe show up, show up for this movie. <laughs> maybe I would have, you know, but like his, I don't know what if he's trying to do a Czechoslovakian accent as a German or what it is, but it it's it stinks, it stinks to high heaven. But you know, you get this out of it. So congratulations, Carl Roden. Big one for you. You get a Colonel Tom Parker award on your mantle. Yes, sir. I'm gonna do decade decider, Nick. It's coming back. I'm excited. Good. You want to you introduce the audience to this? Yeah, Decade Decider is a segment that we haven't done here in quite a bit. But um, <clears throat> basically what we do is we take three people or three creative processes from the film, um, and we line them up and we break them down by decade and see what was their best work. So, you know, for example, Guillermo del Toro, we're going to go through the 90s, 2000s, 10s, and I'm assuming part of the 20s because that's how long he's been around. And then we'll see what movies we liked, what didn't we like. Maybe there's some stuff from one decade that we really, really enjoy, but there's three movies from another that you just have to pick because your favorite's in there. So it kind of gets a little hectic when you have to make a decision. So it's decade our, uh, our categories this week, Guillermo del Toro. And then I quickly realized I didn't know enough to talk about anything else. So I just wrote comic book movies and then movies with hell slash the devil in the title. Why not? We're we're really breaking out that decade decided for a banger, you know. <laughs> forget forget there will be blood. The step aside, we got movies with hell slash the devil in the title. Do us a little favor here and tell us a little something about hell in the early two thousands. It's winning. I don't I don't know what else to say, but like hell and the devil. We'll just start with with hell slash movies, whatever. It's having a great time, you know. I, I'm looking at our list here. I have what is it like? 10, 10 movies from, from that have Hell or Devil in the title. We got From Hell, 2001, Daredevil, Hellboy, The Devil's Rejects, The Devil Wears Prada, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Hellboy 2, Drag Me to Hell, and that's on top of... What a bop. I know, like, they're good movies, too. It's not just, like, schlocky horror. It's like... Got some great A hitters right here, hell. 2005 on, I will guarantee that I, 2004 on, I will probably rewatch at least every single one of those movies once every three or four years. Yes. And that's not even counting, by the way, the New Jersey Devils in the 2000s, from 2000 to 2010, they make two Stanley Cup finals and they win one. They make three conference semifinals and they make four conference quarterfinals. The 2000s is just a great run for Satanists. Like, I don't know what else to tell the audience here, but like, 
sometimes a dog is going to give another dog some props. Satanists have a great run of the 2000s. They get a lot of respect from me. They're they're marginalized, number one. Number two, they're misunderstood, just like Hellboy. You know, I think maybe come back to Satanism. I'm not. I think I we should personally. probably get onto the decade decider. That's what I, I think. think. We should go on, but uh, I also will say this: the 2010s, good, good, good start. You know, Devil. Don't know what that is. Oh, that's the elevator movie. The, the elevator the, one, yeah. The Devils of the Elevator, which is such a stupid conceit. It's a bad movie. Um, we have Hell Baby, which is a movie about if the baby was from hell. We have The Devil's Not, which is the West Memphis 3 movie that won't be the West Memphis 3 movie because it doesn't want to get in trouble. And then we just end with a banger, Hell or High Water. It's just underrated great hell movie. It is. But I think we agree we're going to take the 2000s. There's also Hellraiser, The Devil in the Blue Dress from 1995, The Devil's Advocate. You know, just a lot of, a lot of more Hell slash Devil movies than I thought there'd be. Hellraiser 3, quite familiar with that film. Oh, unfortunately, I will pick the 2000s, so we're going to move I on. I am also going to be rolling with you with the 2000s. I've watched a lot of these movies recently, too, which is kind of funny. You want to go backwards or you want to go to Del Toro? Where do you want to hit this? Go backwards. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to do comic book movies. I, we'll give a rough outline, you know, the 80s. Yeah. There's the 70s movies of, like, Superman 1 and that sort of stuff, but there's so little there that I decided to start the 1980s for our list. We have Superman 2, RoboCop, which I read was a comic book movie, but I don't, I don't, whatever. Uh, and Batman 89. RoboCop is fucking awesome. It's great. It is great. 1990s, you got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 and 2, Batman Returns, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. You got Batman and Robin, all the other stuff. I didn't throw it in there because, boy, they're bad. Uh, 2000s. This is when things explode, as we've talked about time and time again on the show. Nick, you got anything to say about the 2000s? This is just like movie gold for me as a young boy, you know. They're great. It's just it's just absolute heat, baby. The first X-Men, Spider-Man, S2, Hellboy, Spider-Man 2. I mean, some of the best comic book movies of all time right there in that yeah. batch. You got The Dark Knight, which is probably, if not the That's best, top five. Yeah, top three. Watchmen, Iron Man, which starts this whole entire ball rolling, which we won't get into because we do every week, yeah. it seems. So, um, I mean, the 2000s are just the the golden era for me. That might be because that's when I really got into these properties, but yeah. Yeah. There's some misses in there of like X-Men three and Spider-Man three, and maybe like the incredible Hulk. I just go on a whim. I go on a whim. I like Ang Lee's Hulk. It's underrated. And I like Spider-Man three. Go ahead and hate me for those two, but I like both those movies. I hope the uh, I hope the Magnolia for a subreddit doesn't like those <laughs> movies, or else you're in deep trouble. They're not going to like that you just said that. Go with the '90s uh, of the decades. I just I love wow. Ninja Turtle movies. I love Batman Returns, and I love Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. You can have the 2000s. I'll be generous. Okay, yeah, that's a that's an awful pick on your part, but sure, you can have the '90s. Awful, yeah, awful. I, I think that's a really bad pick, personally. Yeah, really bad do i do what's so bad about that i don't think any of those movies in the 90s are in the same league as spider-man 2 or hellboy or the dark knight or even the batman begins okay okay well you can't even go you can't go with batman because the dark knight compared to ninja turtles one you know like they're just different things okay i'm just mask of the phantasm is top 10 comic book movie to me 
It might be, yeah, I totally agree with you. It might be the second, right. third. I mean, it's carrying. It's carrying my list. I know. I, okay, the '90s are being carried by Mask of the Phantasm and Batman Returns, but the 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. We're gonna talk about it at some point. I'm promising you, Nick. <laughs> you might not be happy about it, but like we're gonna talk about it. And I think you'll go, Ninja, see go, Ninja, go. Thing. That's TMNT two. Don't you see? This is where I become the nerd. Don't you dare confuse the two. Ninja Turtles one okay. is pretty straight edge. It's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. It's got a great joke in it, too, that I've kept throughout my life that I'm not going to say. Which one? I'm not going to say it. Oh, you're going to... That's what we call a tease in the business. That's good work, Nick. Good job. Going to wrap up with Guillermo del Toro. You know, if you know his career, you know we're, we're starting with this. It's Kronos, Mimic, Devil's Backbone. 2000 starts there. We also have Blade 2, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy 2. Production kind of slows down in the 2010s. He only makes three movies, The Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, and The Shape of Water, where I, I want to talk about The Shape of Water. If you feel oh. queasy about Hellboy and Wiz being a couple, don't watch that movie. Uh, yeah. But, like, that movie was, like, a thing. Like, like it's so odd. It, yeah. And we won Best Picture. I feel like that was the moment where everyone was like, are we doing this? And it was like, yeah, I guess. Like, like no one yeah. felt great about the fact they were doing it, but they were like, "This is good. It's fine." In 2017, I don't remember the competition, but I d- remember pretty starkly oh. that being one of those things where it was like, "Well, I don't know. I feel like the pool around it could have maybe been better." I'll be quite honest. I think the 2010s is probably his worst work. Like, I, th- I don't. I none of those movies really work for me. I'm not a big Pacific Rim guy. Also, Pacific Rim is one of those movies where I have seen on like FX or Stars and have caught the same 30 to 45 minutes of. Like, I've seen bits and pieces of it. And I've just been like, it just big mech suits. I get it. it. Just doesn't really work for me. I have the the best picture contenders in 2017. This is the 90th Academy Awards. They got this wrong. I'll, I'll just flat out say it. There's some great movies in here. So, there's, yeah. there's Call Me By Your Name. There's Darkest Hour. And then it's Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Three Billboards Outside Epi, Missouri. Yeah. Oh, much better. That, that's, that's a fumble. Where are you going with that? I, uh, I'm going Get Out. I feel like you kind of have to. Because that, that or Phantom Thread. Me. I was gonna say it's either that or Dunkirk for me. I'm not a big Dunkirk guy. Well, you're wrong. That's okay. Or maybe okay. I'm gonna it's power hard. rank it very. I'm gonna go okay. I'll do this quickly. I don't. I don't want to waste too much time here. I haven't seen Phantom Thread yet, but I'm sure that would be catapulting my list. That said, oh. I will go. Should go to jail. Get out. That. I think goes one. I know. Get out goes one. Dunkirk and then Lady Bird is how I think. If you picked any of those three, I personally would have been like, "Great, don't no no complaints here." Yeah, I totally agree with you. I I don't have a power ranking off the top of my head, but it would probably be like something, something like Get Out number one, Get Out number two, and Get Out number three. Best director Del Toro wins that for The Shape of Water. I I will give this to him. I don't really like it. It's Nolan and Dunkirk. It's Peel and Get Out. It's Gerwig and Lady Bird and PTA and Phantom Thread. I mean, this is probably one of the years PTA should have won as well. So I, I, I feel bad for big old big old Paul. New Year's scene in Phantom Thread. Oh, my God. And the fact that that movie doesn't have a cinematographer. I mean, Jesus. I know, I know Nick. It's, it's just, you know, everything I know. It's a work of art. But I think the thing that makes me feel better, I guess, I, I, we say this a lot, is like, I know Paul is going to get an Oscar for something. I don't think 
Del Toro, you're shaking your head. I disagree. They're going to give him something. Dude, Scorsese went for The Departed over every single other masterpiece he had made prior to that. Like, it's going to happen. If the Departed. Year of The Departed one, that was a shit Oscar year, though. I know that. I know that. But I'm just saying, like, they're going to give him a best director or best picture at some point. I believe I that. Not, I'm not banking on it. Whatever. Whatever. I feel good about that because he's just a genius. I don't think Del Toro was ever going to be here again, and I'm kind of glad he just got it because I love Guillermo. That that's fair, yeah, that's a good point. But again, that kind of like goes back to our whole like yeah. like clashing of heads with the Andrea Riseborough thing. Like, not about who's the coolest kid on the block; it's about who be- who did the best work. And I think it oh. out. I think Three Billboards. I think all those movies personally are superior. Well, don't get to- me wrong. I would have I would have voted for like Peel or Nolan before I voted for for Guillermo. I'm just saying like I can at least take some comfort in the fact like it's a cool guy who I really really like and probably will never make something that's popular enough to even get to a best director nomination. And is an amazing um, di- director too. He is worthy of the Academy Award. His work is amazing. Yes. yes. His upcoming movies, uh he's done Nightmare Alley in 2021, Pinocchio 2022 which I think animation is probably a genre he might lean more into in the, in the next coming years. He's got that like Netflix show. He's made Pinocchio for Netflix. His next project is a Frankenstein thing for Netflix of uh, Oscar Isaac and Andrew Garfield uh, with Garfield as Frankenstein's monster. So you can look forward to that. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to see Del Toro kind of go? Don't we have like, to pick a decade? Anywhere... Well, I, we'll get to that. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no where, do I, where do I want to see him go? Yeah, um, like, like if you if okay, so we're we're coming back to you. He's like, hey, hey, Nick, you know, great work in Hellboy three. Where do you want me to go after this? Straight horror, something scary. Straight horror, something scary and gory. Like, I feel like you tried that with Crimson Peak, and no one liked it. I never saw that. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I, you know what? I also think he is really good at like adapting properties. I would love to see him make like a Silent Hill movie or something like that. Make a really good Resident sure. Evil movie, something like that. Are like, you I sure, think he's good at adapting properties because you just spent the last like two hours being like, I can't believe he changed this about Abe. I think he gets the tonal approach of properties. Okay. I guess would be a better right. way to put it. And I think that's maybe a project that is more malleable. And it's more lends to his sensibilities a little bit more. Where like Hellboy is kind of it's niche by default, whereas mm. you know Silent Hill you can kind of do whatever you want. I I don't know why I'd kind of like to see him taper down into like something more grounded. If he doesn't want to completely get it, I, it's not his thing. I'd it's just not his bag. A, yeah, but like I'd be curious to see what a Guillermo del Toro like drama looks like. You know, I I don't know why. Have you seen Nightmare Alley? I haven't, but I've always wanted to. Is it's on Max, right? Yeah, it is. That'll give you some. That'll give you some of those vibes. It's. I'd like to see maybe something like that too. Maybe go back in time and do another period piece like Pan's Labyrinth or, um, just forgot the name. Nightmare Alley. He always works best when he's immersed in something. You know, whether it's the complete genre thing or a, like he can't just make a straight up drama, which is I guess the problem with what I want. But like. I'd like to see him try something just to give us something new in his archives. Yeah. He needs to. He, there has to be a world that needs to be built with him. That's like part of like the process with him that gets him in. I think. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. I think it's the two thousands. You know, I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room here. 
I do too. It's got my favorite movie, Pan's Labyrinth, as I've talked about at nauseum now. And, you know, I think Hellboy 2 is pretty solid and Hellboy 1 is, as much as we've kind of given it its flack, it's still pretty damn good for a, a pretty tough property to adapt and Blade 2 is just money. Hellboy 1's like a six and a half is kind of where I came down on it. We're like, I like it a lot, but the flaws are really big and I kind of can't help but like see them. They show. Yeah, they show. Yeah, they show. It's just like, Ah, like I, I, if someone had taken another pass, like I, I, <laughs> I hate to think of us as the, the script doctors, but like I would have loved to take a pass and this be like the Meyer stuff, the Liz stuff. Like, I, do we really need this to be involved in our Hellboy movie? Mm. When it's when it's just as simple as big red guy fights other demon guys and and tries to struggle if he's a monster. And the mm. the thing that's annoying is like Tambor, as much as I dislike him. He has that one line of like, what happens when we catch all the monsters? There's still one left. You. Like, more of that, like, animism between him and the BRPD or BPRD, sorry, whatever. Um, <laughs> I want to offend you. You already did. Too late. Okay, that's fine. Uh, X-Men. X-Men does that a lot of, like, the animism between, like, an open minority, I guess is the best way I can put it, and the public facing the pressure to, like, beat them. And I think you could have done with Hellboy, and, and I really wish they had, because that is an interesting concept, and just kind of miss the assignment here, Guillermo. Yeah, I agree. There's a whole other character, Roger, that kind of also has some of those things that you're talking about Roger, in the comics. Classic. We've gone, we've gone far enough, and uh, we need far. to wrap anyways. <laughs> My legs can't carry us anymore. I've collapsed on the, <laughs> on the dirt, on the fiery cracks of hell, because that was the episode. <laughs> Josh, once again, thank you for doing this with me. And thank you, audience, for sticking with us and listening. Uh, like, rate, subscribe. Find us on any of your social media or any place that you listen to podcasts. Instagram, roads, underscore dogs, underscore podcast. Dogs I just out. noticed something. Um, we kind of neglected the whole 2020s and 2010s of comic book movies, but uh, fuck it. Road dogs out. Don't care. Could care less. Good night. Dogs out.